We, we don't have to worry about nothing. Cause we got the fire and we're burning one hell of a something. They, they're gonna see us from outer space, outer space, light it up. Like we're the stars of the human race, human race. When the light started out, they don't know what they heard. Strike the match, playing loud, giving love to the world. We'll be raising our hands, shining up to the sky. Cause we got the fire, fire, fire. Yeah, we got that fire, fire, fire. And we're gonna let it burn, 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 burn. 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 We can light it up, up, up. So they can put it out, out, out. Welcome to episode 16 of the Filmotomy podcast, and today is one of my favorite episodes that uh, we get to record. This is our our top 10 films of the year for 2017, and we have quite a nice panel with us tonight. Right now, there's five of us. We will be adding a sixth uh, in just a few minutes, and then um, we will be getting going with what our favorite films of the year are which is really cool because one of my favorite podcasts is the Flixation podcast. And just last night they recorded their best of. So I think what we'll do is we'll go around and we'll talk about which first what our, our honorable mentions are. And then we'll do, we'll each give our 10 through six and then we'll, we'll each go around, give our five, then our four, then our three, so forth. And um, so just first, uh, who wants to start with what some of your honorable mentions are? Uh, I can go first. Get, get, get the weird ones out of the way. <laughs> uh, so I've got ten here. Um, the base the ones you'll all know, things like Blade Runner, 2049 didn't make my ten. Um, Logan as well. It was really, really tough not to put that in. And also, uh, First They Killed My Father, the Angelina Jolie film. So they're the ones you're probably aware of. Um, I also have the Red Turtle animation. Um, Thelma. Does anyone, I don't know if anyone's seen that. They didn't make the phone language five. Um, Inver- Inversion, which is an Iranian film. I, I tend to have a lot of Iranian films in my <laughs> uh, Land of Mine, which is a Danish war film. Um... 
The Salesman, as I mentioned, and a, a Greek film called Suntan, hmm. uh, which is like about sort of a middle-aged doctor befriends a, a group of young people on holiday, and it, it, it gets very strange, very dark, but it's, it's um, really, really good. So they're my 10 that didn't make it. Uh, I'm going to add in 11th, which is Raw, the, the cannibal film. <laughs> hey, hey, Robin, um, how yeah. do you pronounce the director's name of Suntan? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just go and see my wife, because she'll be able to Okay. Uh, let's have a look. Can't pronounce the actor's name, I'm not really good. <laughs> right. Right, it's Papa Dimitri Poulos. Wow. <laughs> Greek, yeah. Papa, Dimit- Papa Dimitropoulos. <laughs> and the, I'll just tell you about, about Greek names at the end there, Poulos, that tells you a lot about where they're from in Greece, because it's based on the same names, so my wife's got that Poulos mm. at the end of her name, so oh, that's she's right. got the same yeah. yeah, so it's quite interesting so that was perfect pronunciation for you well done yeah. um, so I I have a bit of a weird weird list, but I'm just going to go into it um, so Wonder Woman, I really I went in, went to see it in the theater and uh, like cried three times, like during, like three different times. I thought it was like so moving and so sweeping. Um, I thought it comes at night, which is a kind of like horror thriller, um, was really really good. Uh, I thought it was a really underrated movie that got that got sort of very little uh, press or praise. Uh, and then I would just sum it up with Killing of the Sacred Deer. Um, which is a movie I kind of had problems with, but I thought was visually very inventive and interesting. And it's kind of, I don't know if it's supposed to be satirical or just like evil or like what's going on there. Hey Rob, uh, have you had spaghetti since you saw it? uh, (laughs) Yes, but it's because I'm Italian and I just love Italian food, but it's (laughs) It's also just had a a peach as well. (laughs) Oh, Yep. What about asparagus? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And then just just oh. one more. Um, I really did like Raw, but I didn't I didn't feel like it was like be- like best in like one of the best movies of the year. But I did I did like that attempt, and I did like uh, like that film quite a bit. So Joel, these are your runner ups. Your uh, you know just missed your top tens. Not not nominated. So yeah, uh, what, what I was saying is I have my honorable mentions here. Uh, number 20, War for the Planet of the Apes. 19, Wind River. Uh, Lady Bird, followed by I, Tonya. <laughs> uh, the Florida Project. Lady Macbeth. Baby Driver. The Post. Good Time. And this one hurt because I wanted it in my top 10, but it didn't make it in the last moment. Coco which made me cry the last three minutes of it. So, yeah. (laughs) Great. Uh, I have not seen, I don't think, as many movies as uh, y'all. And uh, so, for all I know, uh, a better list would have, like, Killing of the Sacred Deer, which I haven't seen in other, uh, you know, movies I haven't. But I can only go with what I've seen. Um, Let's see. My number 20 is a name I have not yet heard on this podcast, uh, a movie called Lost City of Z, which I thought was Mm. really uh, you'll hear about it. What's that? <laughs> he said, you'll hear about it later. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, there you go. Same here. Uh-huh. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, uh, you know, there was a time it was in my top ten. Uh, Big Sick, um, which I also haven't heard anybody name, I guess because it's coming up on people's top tens. Um, 
Logan, I thought was strong until parts of the third act. <laughs> uh, Baby Driver, um, The Post. I, I thought The Post is almost a little underrated. I mean, I, I thought that was a very fine, strong film. Uh, you know, it's not quite my top ten, but I, I don't know. I feel like these days people have just forgotten about it or something. I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't want Robin to punch his computer screen, but I'm putting Dunkirk in my, uh, my, my honorable mentions. Sorry, Robin. I see that. Huh? See ya. <laughs> I, I had uh, issues, uh, but I liked it. Uh, and I also liked Coco. Uh, so I agree, uh, with Joel. It was an emotional ride. Um, BPM beats per minute. Uh, like Robin, I have Call Me By Your Name here. And then just outside my top ten, and I know this would be in other people's top tens, is um, Phantom Thread. That's all. My, that was my 20 through 11. So uh, take it away, next person. Oh, next person's me. Um, <laughs> okay, so uh, I've got A Ghost Story, mm-hmm. um, Mother, um, Ingrid Goes West, which I, I quite liked, but not, um, there were some problems I had with that film. Um, Marjorie Prime, which was very good. I don't know whether anyone, anyone's heard of Marjorie Prime. Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah, 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 yeah I, I like that film. It was very good. Uh, uh, Get Out. Heard of it. I'm getting out. <laughs> yeah. uh, Baby Driver. Um, Okja, Okja, I can't say it. Okja, you know the little, the little Netflix yeah. film. The pig. Yeah, it's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hounds of Love. Ah, nice. Uh, I Tonya, The Disaster Artist, Darkest Hour, Wonder Woman, and seventy-eight by fifty-two Hitchcock's Shower Scene. Oh, yeah. I've heard of, but I haven't seen that. It's really, really good. Uh, There's an excellent review on the site by yours truly. So, uh, you know, just sort of... (laughs) Shameless (laughs) plug. Yeah. (laughs) No, but I I like it a lot because it's like features so many people I admire uh, talking about the film. And it was like, oh, it's that person. Oh, it's that person. It was like... It was really good, so I I would, and also Psycho is amazing. So anything that sort of celebrates that is is good. Uh, I was just going to say when we posted that review, um, it, it it was just coincidence. But that was the next film I saw. So when Bianca, when I, I read Bianca's review, it was like set me up for the like oh. that film, and that's the next film I watched. Like, that was my plan, and uh, yeah, certainly great year for documentaries. Nice. Mm. Um, so, yeah, what I was going to say is uh, I still think Psycho is better than Vertigo any day. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm inclined to say that my favorite Hitchcock film is North by Northwest. Mm. Um, it's really good. Yeah. Yeah. What was Cary Grant's real name? Oh, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to look at... Uh, <laughs> no, it, it wasn't just Cary Grant. All you Grant. have to know is what, what was the name of John Cleese's character in A Fish Called Wanda. It's yeah. the same answer. You know, I've never seen that movie. <gasps> oh, I haven't either. Ooh. I haven't either. Uh, <laughs> I know, it's a comedy class. Oh. <laughs> it looks like Cary Grant's real name is Archibald Alexander Leach. Yeah. Wow. Correct. That is quite, quite a name. name. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
but anyway, yes, North by Northwest is my favorite Hitchcock film. So, well, I think we are definitely going to have to do a Hitchcock week in a Hitchcock episode. Uh, I yes. think it would be a month of yeah. Hitchcock. <laughs> Hitchcock, yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, whatever. So, all right. Well, before I'm going to do my ten honorable mentions, um, I wanted to get um, our friend. Um, Matt St. Clair's top 10 in here, and he actually changed it up from what was posted on Filmotomy. Yeah, he uh, he said he added one in at number two. So his, his current top 10 read like this. Number 10, Ingrid Goes West. Number nine is Columbus. Eight is The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Seven is Get Out. Six is The Big Sick. Five is Mudbound. Four is The Shape of Water. Three is Lady Bird. Two, his newest film is BPM. And his winner is Call Me By Your Name. Yeah, I'm still excited to see that one. Um, and, you know, before I mention my... Oh, yeah, that's what I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> Too bad that was spoiled too often. Um uh, because I I, re- I listened to too many reviews, but um, so the two main films that I have yet to see that I think could eventually end up in my top ten, possibly I still haven't seen The Disaster Artist, and I still haven't seen I Tanya. Mm. Um, although I'm I'm also hoping that Call Me by Your Name I love, and the same with Phantom Thread, which I by the way you know shameless plug, listeners, if you haven't listened to the last episode. Go listen to the last episode. They talked about it. After you finish this one. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah, finish this one first. And then go back and find out how much they liked Phantom Thread. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And if you like like Hitchcock and you would also like Phantom Thread, there's an excellent article on the (laughs) website by yours truly. Wink, wink. Okay, so miss it. yeah, so my ten honorable mentions. I ended up just putting in alphabetical order. Okay. So what I've got here is Battle of the Sexes, The Big Sick, uh, Detroit, The Fate of the Furious, The Founder, which I count as 2017, hmm. Get Out, John Wick Chapter Two, The Lego Batman Movie, Logan, and Only the Brave. Ooh. You got a lot of action movies in there. Nice. Yeah, I I definitely uh, biased towards action movies. <laughs> Very good. Thank you. All right, so let's um, let's start with then our ten through six. So, Robin, what is your ten through six? So, um, the, the, as I said, they're not going to be ranked. <clears throat> so I've got them listed um, with the original title. You know, I like to write the names of the original. You know, where if they're from a certain country, I'll write it in that language, because that's how weird I am. Uh, but I'm going to read them in English, and they're in alphabetical order based on their language. So, first five, I've got The Handmaiden, which was just 2017 for us, which is which was an excellent film. Uh, I've got My Happy Family, which is a Georgian film, and it's on Netflix, so everybody should see it. There's no excuse. Um, a film you've probably not heard of, which is called Dunkirk. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I pronounced that right. Dunkirk. Um, 
I've got an Egyptian film next called Clash, which is like about the troubles in Egypt recently, the political issues they had, a group of uh, people trapped in a police van, and it's all so all filmed in that van, and it's it's just so so good. You should go see that. And the last of my first five is the Florida Project. Very nice. What do you think to that? Zesty. Very nice. <laughs> you know, and 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 Robin, I I do think um, I like what Sasha was getting at on her premiere of her uh, individual podcast, where she's talking about thinking that maybe Dunkirk can still win. Yes, I listened to it this morning, and I was I'm, I was almost like. One percent left of hope, and I was about to say, like, "I'm going to have to switch now." Shape water. And I listen to Sasha. I listen to Sasha. You know the, you know the, the queen of Oscar rage, and, uh, and now I'm now I'm still stuck on Dunkirk. It's ridiculous. I think if Nolan had pulled off the win at the DGA, I, I would have agreed with Sasha. But I feel like now, I don't know. It's really Del Toro's to lose for both uh, director and picture. I, I could be wrong. I, I don't know. Yeah, but maybe I, we shouldn't I, be handicapping that now. But go ahead. Sorry. I, I, I do think the writing and the acting, the the emphasis on that stat. I, I just think it's kind of null and void. We don't care because it was never really going to get those anywhere. So I think right. You know, if it's going to do it, it's going to be irrelevant of that stat. But, you know, the, like you say, the DGA was massive. Even the PGA, if it had all the PGA, you know. But right, sure. You never know. It's, it's been a very strange sort of five years with the Oscars. So we'll see. Agreed. Okay, Rob, what is your 10 through 6? Okay, my, uh, my 10 through 6 goes like this. Uh, number 10 is Angry Goes West. Number 9 is The Lost City of Z. Uh, number 8 is Call Me By Your Name. Number seven is Wind River. Number six is The Shape of Water. Ooh, nice. Yeah, my 10 through six is, and uh, number 10 is Water. Uh, a film that divided Twitter, uh, <laughs> like Free Billboards did just a few months ago. Yeah. And I, I love this film. I, I don't know why so much people hated, hated it. So, <laughs> well, yeah. I think that divided, that's the most divided film of the year, is it not? Mm-hmm. More than Free Billboards, which is kind of like a lot of city journalism and stuff but mother was like mm-hmm. people hated it people loved yeah. it and that poster <laughs> that poster with the uh, two two types of uh, critic responses is that just about sums it up i think <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I, I, I thought i thought it was brilliant so yeah that's why it's in my top 10 uh i have a number nine uh the lost city of z uh, such an underrated film. Uh, I think it is uh, it is it deserved uh, better appreciation by people. So yeah, uh, check it out if you can. Uh, number eight, I got a ghost story, uh, another underrated gem. Uh, it's very slow. It's very patient, but it will work out. It will work out in the end. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah. It features the best pie-eating scene. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. Totally you know, agree. <laughs> I, I haven't seen that film yet, but I, I feel like I have to take up a little bit of a disagreement there. <laughs> have you ever seen the film Stand By Me? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wait, how is Stand By Me comparable to a ghost story? No, no, what she's talking about pie the best eating. pie-eating scene. Oh, well, maybe since then, yeah. We're not bringing up American Pie in that conversation? Oh, well, I don't think they were eating it. Because it's not eating, is it? 
But Never he mind. said of 2017, so oh, okay. he oh, has a point. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm, gonna do, I'm gonna do a list. I've decided we're gonna do 10, 10 great pay in moments. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Fun film. Let's, let's, let's get, get your heads together. Let's do that. Let's get that out tonight. Right. Anyway, okay. sorry. Come on. <laughs> okay. So at number seven, I have the best comic book uh, movie that came out this year, which is Logan. Mm. Yeah. I have it here uh, with a great performance by a little kid called Daphne Keene. Yeah. Oh, my God. She's amazing. She was great. She's amazing. I I hope she has a great future. Uh, And at number six, I have uh, a film that probably in a few years is going to go in my top five of 2017. But for now, it's number six. uh, Get Out. Uh, It's a film that gets better with uh, every rewatch. Uh, the the metaphors, the symbolism, uh, it's amazing. It's it's great what uh, Jordan Peele did in its its first film. It's 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 that's amazing. So yeah, uh, that's my okay. ten for six. By the way, Joel, did you hear about why um, Jordan Peele says he's quitting acting? Mm, no, not really. Okay, and I can connect this to Logan. So um, he was offered. The role of the poop emoji, or the, right, the poop right. uh, before Patrick Stewart. Was yeah, offered. before Patrick That's Stewart, who was in Logan. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, that's they, awful. That is awful. Yeah, they Jordan Peele at the DGA said that uh, he was offered the role of the poop in the emoji <laughs> movie. Sure he he's like, well. Uh, he might have been. I mean, that is his forte, but uh, I think he was pretty serious. No, it's kind of, I don't know, I'm kind of reaching here, but wasn't that kind of racist? (laughs) Yes, that's fine. I mean, Peel is probably making that point by bringing it up, that it's like, hey, I had the talent all along to direct an Academy Award, you know, caliber film, and I got asked to do the poop emoji. That's what Hollywood (laughs) still is, you know. It's like, talent can still, like, survive and thrive here, but... It took me, you know, 25 years to get here from Mad TV, you know, so, yeah. Oh, my God. Can't believe it, honestly. Oh, oh, oh I believe it, but can't believe it at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Damn. <laughs> wow. Yeah, a lot of crazy news lately. <laughs> yeah. Well, wait, so you, Al, before I give my uh, 10 or 6, did, sure. did you believe Peel said he's retiring from acting? or did you think <sighs> I, was, yeah. I think that Jordan Peel is retiring from acting the way that Daniel Day-Lewis is retiring from acting. That's yeah. typically a salary negotiation. I mean, I know Hugh, Hugh Grant made a big deal about retiring from acting 10 years ago. Now you can't get rid of him. I mean, <laughs> Paddington, too. But, you know, I, I mean, the thing is... All the time. You know, some some directors, I mean, or, you know, actors who turn to directing, sometimes they don't go back, you know. Um, uh-huh. I mean, sometimes they do. I mean, you look at Ben Affleck. I mean, he's honestly, he's better as a director, excuse, you know, excluding like Live by Night, which was just a disaster. Yeah. A disaster. He, yeah. He's a better director than he is an actor. Thank you. Well, Don <laughs> Baby. It's not, like Brando. Gone, it's not like he's Brando. Right. No. But at the same time, then, like, George Clooney is still way better as an actor than he is as a director. So Yeah. Uh, really? Uh, no. Okay. Well, I mean... Burbia was not... Did not work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the Monuments Men was kind of... 
Yeah. Bad. It was bad. Well, you got me there. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of a fun romp. Um, good night yeah. and good luck was really good. That was one was that, he directed that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, I guess uh, why don't I jump into my top ten uh, or my ten through six? Uh, well, no need to linger along on this. Uh, my number ten was Wonder Woman. Uh, my number nine mentioned earlier by Robin was um, First They Killed My Father. For me, that was sort of like the the non male uh, apocalypse now, and I, and I loved every frame of it. Yeah. Uh, number eight for me was Faces Places. Um, I really enjoyed Agnes Varda's, you know, sort of walk through France um, with this young artist. I thought that was just uh, very touching in so many ways. Uh, my number seven is The Shape of Water. Number six is Lady Bird. Very nice. Oh, By the way, Daniel, what did you think of the Agnes Varda poster in the Oscar group uh, picture? Uh I saw the Oscar group picture. I guess I must have missed the Varda. I don't know what you're talking about. So she is in the back row. There, uh, okay. I, I think it's um, Greta Gerwig is holding a poster of Agnes oh. Varda. Okay. Well, as long as uh, Greta Gerwig's not pulling a Sinead O'Connor and ripping the poster in half, I think that's fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't. I honestly don't know. Maybe Agnes was, uh, was feeling poorly that day. I don't know why she. I. I, I don't know anything about it. Honestly. Yeah. Well, you know, and I, I. It made me think. I. I forgot to check if James Ivory was there because I think Agnes Varda and James Ivory are the same age. And yeah, right. They're both eighty nine, and they're both favored to walk away with uh, a gold Oscar this uh, season, which is great. You know. Yeah. Chris well, Plummer's funny. only eighty eight. That spring chicken. <laughs> well, He's it's funny here. about Agnes Varda. She was married to Jacques Demy, another famous um, right. director. Mm-hmm. And last last year's, I guess, almost winner, um, La La Land, it was yeah. very reminiscent of his movie Umbrellas. Sure. So I think it would sure. be interesting to sort of back to back to see, you know, yep. um, that kind of, uh, you know, that kind of uh, movement, you know, back Rob, year to year. But Rob, did you see Faces Places? Um, I didn't. My favorite critic of the year, um, well, non he's not really a critic, Brady Sinellis, the author, who's just really into movies, um, he, he said his his guilty admission of the year was that he walked out of Faces <laughs> Places, so it was something for me to avoid, but yeah. I did see the preview um, going to see the Florida Project a couple months ago, so yeah, it was just yeah, like, yeah. Eh, I'll probably <laughs> eventually check it out, but I didn't, no. Right. Well, it's not for everyone, you know. Yeah. But that's cool. All right, B, you're up next. Sorry, I just had a coffee fit. <laughs> Excuse me. Oh. Um, that's right, I'm recovering from illness. So, um, okay, uh, I will start with my 10. Um, Blade Runner 2049. Uh, and then at number nine, I've got The Cinema Travelers, um, which hey. uh, is a great documentary uh, following... Uh, sort of a portable c- cinema uh, traveling um, through rural India showing old films and uh, for anyone who appreciates the sort of the art of, of um, screening films and, and projections and it, it really shows you it's, it's something that we've missed the magic of, of seeing a film being projected onto a screen because obviously now it's all sort of digital so it's it's a great um little, little documentary which they uh is 
sort of has a British director. So uh, I recommend that. Um, eight, I've got uh, Beach Rats, which is really, really good. I think uh, it's, it would be great to see uh, Beach Rats uh, with a double bill of Call Me By Your Name. Because uh, yeah. they sort of uh, approach the uh, the topic of you know teenage sexuality in in a in a different style. So, and I found an interesting fact that the director, um, who is a female director of um, her name is uh, Eliza Hitman. Uh, mm. She came up with this story for Beach Rats after seeing a photograph. Um, so that was. That was quite an uh, interesting little fact. Um, seven, I've got uh, free billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. And um, my sixth film uh, is L. Uh, I'm counting L as coming out uh, this year, yeah. um, being in the UK. So really good movie. Really oh, good yeah. movie. Agreed. I would add to your double bill the Call It By Your Name and Beach Rats, a film called uh, God's Own Country, which is a oh, British yes. film as well. Those three together, just really go for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 I, I do need to see God's Own Country. So um, I'm sure that it, there are a lot of films that I haven't seen this year, which I know if I had seen them, they would have been... That, you know, my top ten would have shifted quite a bit. So, um, but that's good because there's so much choice, there's so much to catch up on. Whereas the last few years have been sort of like you're struggling to even get a top five, let alone a top ten. So, all right. Um, so my t- uh, ten through six at number ten was the film that I think I might have had the most fun with at the theater this year, and that was Taika Waititi's Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> I knew this was coming. <laughs> I knew this was yeah. coming. <laughs> oh, the most colorful film I saw of the whole year, except for maybe um, another Marvel film, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. I mean, you, you all saw those two. Which one do you think used color better? <laughs> We're counting like <laughs> colorful aliens now. As, uh, I mean, you know, they get their red, their blue. Yeah, we're talking like costumes or emotions. What? What? Just the whole everything. Like just when you what you see on screen because I just see a mess. <laughs> oh. You can't win. Is color. the answer? You, yeah. There is no answer. The right. service. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, uh, my. What was that? Good question. Yeah. Um, thank you. My number nine is The Shape of Water, which I had hoped would be higher on this list, but I think when I saw it, I wasn't prepared for it. And uh, so I, my mind just might have been not 100% there, but I, I did really like it. And, oh, I cringed when, um, when uh, he broke his fingers off. Yeah. Oh, sure. <laughs> oh, my God. At number eight, um, Spider-Man Homecoming. And, uh-huh. you know, it, it really has everything to do with Tom Holland. Uh, I love the Spider-Man character. He's arguably my favorite comic book character of all time. And the fact that they found somebody who is as good as playing both Peter Parker and Spider-Man better than both um, um, 
Oh, geez. Andrew Garfield and yeah, Maguire. and yep, yep, and uh, well, I agree. It's the it's the best Peter Parker movie, hands down, um, <laughs> of the six of them. You know, keep going. Yeah. Well, no. Well, okay. Well, I'm curious then. Who do you think has played Spider Man the best? I don't know. Well, I think it's hard. They're kind of interchangeable in some ways because sometimes it's it's hard to translate that character on the page with all the quips and all the jokes that he tells and everything. I think, you know, so in the comics, you know, uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I think around Spider-Man 2, I think Tobey Maguire was settling into the quips, I think, in a good way. But, uh, you know, it's it's fine. I, but what I mean is they gave the script this time was a great Peter Parker script. I think that was brilliant, you know. And, yes, you're right. Tom Holland rose to the occasion. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, that and, like, I think um, Spider-Man Homecoming, like, just the way it starts, you know, where you see, like, the, the home video <laughs> of when he's, like, right. joining in on that uh, airport fight you know in civil war sure um yeah uh, okay so at number seven i have it uh from andy muschietti and you know i didn't like mama and um i really appreciated how much i liked it so i was really happy that um bill skarsgård especially uh was able to <laughs> to be pennywise about as fucking creepy as possible <laughs> <laughs> and at number six, I have Ladybird, which hey, you know, that's where I have. yeah, yeah. Well, we're, we're right. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are wrong. The list almost identical. I haven't well, even included it in my yeah, top twenty. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah what is what is your same. reaction to uh, our inclusions, uh, B? I just the thing is I it's so overhyped. It's so overhyped and it's you know, if it hadn't been hyped as much, if it hadn't been like um greatest film of twenty seventeen, the best film debut by you know, because Get Out is a far superior film and that's by Lord. a first time director. And like I say, I have a lot of problems with the actual character of Ladybird. Um, mm. I don't, I, you know, I like unlikable characters. I don't have an issue with, you know, I don't expect my character to be like my main character to be in the film to be really sort of super nice. But I do expect them to have some redeeming qualities, and they only and not be. Uh, insufferable little rats. <laughs> so and the story is so boring I've seen it so many times before I lived hey. through it so it was called Juno it came out in 2007 yes. yeah. it was nominated yeah. for an Academy Award and it was direct it was actually directed by Jason Reitman so yeah. just... Juno is a far better film yeah a far better coming of age tale and um I don't know. It's just when you compare it to other films about that have come out regarding teenagers, and compare it to something like "Call Me by Your Name," which is also sort of a coming-of-age drama, um, although well, different. The character, the Doom characters, are so different, and so one is so much more likable, and 
actually seems to be not just a cliche of a moody teenager. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I just I'd like to compare it to something that that was also nominated like almost fifty years ago, something like The Last Picture Show, because really oh. that's about showing teenagers and like showing a town yeah. dying, and mm-hmm. Lady Bird kind of has Sacramento as like the backdrop and the environment, oh, sure. but. It you know to be fair one is I think one is much more sort of an art film and and kind of looking at the like feeling of the people and the environment and everything and you Lady don't Bird get that is at all with Lady yeah, Bird. Lady Bird is a fine film. It's it's you know it's a well shot, well made movie. But I sat there watching it thinking, what what movie is everyone else watching? Because I am completely I'm bo- like I'm bored. I don't I don't care what's going on. There's nothing driving the the action on screen. It's very much a, you know, mother-daughter, you know, are we going to get through this? This is, you know, a tough time in each other's lives kind of, you know, kind of narrative. And, yeah. I think the film should have been from the mother's point of view. Yes. Completely. It should have been through her eyes. And that would have been a far better film because, Mm -hmm. you you know, we've seen it through the eyes of the sulky teenager so many times before. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't, still don't get why it was set in 2002. Because um, that's when Greta Gerwig is probably a teenager. Yeah. 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 But that's why. Why does it need it? There was no emphasis on that. Uh, like, it was just... No cell phones oh, is probably like that. Yeah. Well, well, I think they wanted to be pre-social media. You right. know, like, they wanted to anticipate it, you know, before maybe there was that pressure on teenagers to sort of mm-hmm. produce own brand as as they are high school students which you know they now have i don't know i mean i'm just that's a guess i don't know I'm, but go well, ahead yeah i just think it was uh, a film that had so much potential to do something different and in the <laughs> end it just became like every run-of-the-mill film that i've yeah. seen indie i heard the Haley steinfeld film from last year um uh, is edge of 17 Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that kind of depiction of the teenager you're not really supposed to like. I I was thinking of that while I was watching Lady Bird, so... Yeah, were you thinking of other films that you would prefer watching? (laughs) (laughs) The problem I have with with Lady Bird is that that, that it's... I think it's too ordinary of a film. That Mm -hmm. that it's about something that we have seen before. Uh, So that's that's the problem. We're comparing... To many films that have come before, and yeah. I think the only special thing that that Lady Bird has is its script. Its script, mm. uh, because it's it's very real. Uh, it's real people talking uh, about yeah. real things. That's that's the thing that I could give uh, Greta Gerwig, and also Laurie Metcalf's uh, performance as as Lady Bird's mom. It's it's one of the most uh, subtle subtle and real uh, performance of a teenage. Uh, a mother of a teenager, you know, mm. because teenagers, uh, we were brats when we were teenagers, everyone. Yes. Uh, I yes. don't know. Uh, no <laughs> so, comment. So, uh, no <laughs> comment. <laughs> but, you know, even the, the well-behaved ones, uh, they have a moment that they don't uh, be grateful with, uh, to their parents, to what they do. Uh, uh, you know, and, and parents sacrifice for us uh, so they can give us uh, what is best, uh, you know. And yeah. that's that's the thing that I think Greta was aiming for, uh, you know, that this ungrateful uh, 
teen doesn't uh, see what, what her mother does every day so she can have uh, a great education and, and you know, uh, have the opportunity to go to college. So, yeah, that, that, that was the point. But somehow, it, I don't know, it, it didn't get there extraordinarily. That's, you it know. Was like, it was, it was it like was, a, a really light beer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it's something that's so common. It's it's very common. We have seen it before, and we have seen it better. So yeah, that's the yeah. problem. With Tracy, it. Where's the way? Tracy you know. deserved a bit more credit as well. If we're going to talk about mothers and sacrifices that mothers go through, I don't. I think we should briefly touch upon the Florida project. Yes, uh, well, we're, we're getting there. Mm. <laughs> but. Um, you were saying like what mothers have to do in order to provide for their child and comparing the two mothers from, you know, the lady, uh, ladybird and the Florida project, um, both care about the children and both want to provide for them. But, uh, in the end, yeah, it doesn't, it's, it's a bit funny because they both seem to, to drive apart, drive a wedge between them and their daughters. So, uh, you know, I do. I I will say that Ladybird should have been told through the mother's perspective. Um, I think it would have been a, a far stronger film. Uh, but I I don't know. Uh, maybe we'll see. I don't think it's going to be. Uh, you know, in five years' time or a couple of years' time, I don't think people will be talking about it as much as they are now. Um, but there are far more superior, better films that have come out right. this year, which I, I know will stand the test of time, most definitely. Because it made me think of Boyhood a lot. Hmm. Like, the buzz that came out with Boyhood. Um, oh, I love I, Boyhood, but hey, that's uh, okay. Yeah, no, I love, I love Boyhood as well, when I first yeah. saw it. But then I, I tried watching it again, and it was almost like, uh, I don't quite, once you've seen it, it's the same with Birdman. It's like once you've seen that okay, film. Okay, stop. Just stop right there. Birdman. No. Come on, Birdman is a is That's an absolute. I'm sorry. I can get something new out of that movie every time I watch uh, it. Boyhood, uh, I'd be willing to agree with you. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, look, you know, I think it's interesting you mentioned Florida Project because that's the movie Sa- Sasha keeps bringing up as sort of a club in these ladybird discussions. She's like, oh, you think you're talking about lower class or working class Florida Project? You know, that much more than ladybird uh, is a movie about the work, you know, working class. How dare you even try to give ladybird that? Ability? Yeah, yeah, I mean, clearly she was class insecure. That's what it, you know, the, the character played by Saoirse Ronan, you know, she was, you know, she wanted to live in the forties, which is like the tonier neighborhood of Sacramento. I mean, yes, it seems silly to us, but it is about class and security, whether or not it's the Florida project. Sure. It's not, um, I, uh-huh. it's not as that good. Uh, I feel like I, I just want to say a couple quick defenses of Ladybird that I don't normally hear in the media. Um, <laughs> I saw it early, so I, I when I was watching it, I was I, I wasn't overwhelmed by hype. I the thing I kept thinking to myself is we've gone from mumblecore to normcore. You know, Greg Greta Gerwig, <laughs> yeah. 
you know, she came up through mumblecore and this is what she sort of wanted to say the whole time. I'm actually normal or some, or whatever you want to call normcore, you know, listening to Alanis Morissette is like part of normcore, losing your virginity to Dave Matthews crash. And I agree. I mean, it's not necessarily, you know, it really, it seemed like a John Hughes movie to me. Uh, if we, <laughs> if we love those John Hughes movies, if we think, if we're putting those on a pedestal, I don't think we can then, you know, say that Lady Bird can't give it near that pedestal um it did seem structured like juno like harry potter the whole one year thing the whole pinging all the holidays you know they made a big deal of thanksgiving and easter you know ash wednesday i mean i'm not putting these in order but um you know know, i'm just saying i mean christmas do you i mean you know you saw what they were doing i mean they were you know it was um I, I guess it was just sort of an assertion of being able to live through something, as she says in the first scene, and then you know have it be kind of normal. I I liked a, a lot of it worked for me, but I totally get where you guys are uh, coming from that it seemed like it needed to be more. Um, but yeah, okay, that, I, that's the I, that's as far as my def- the other defenses are all online, so I'm not gonna re. re- <laughs> it's so, okay, Daniel. Well, you know, you were you guys were talking about the connections or or comparisons between Lady Bird and the Florida Project. And, you know, my whole thing with the Florida Project was, one, um, I I don't know if the mom actually really did like her daughter. It felt like, <laughs> it, like, it felt like she was just using her, you know? Yeah, I agree yeah. with you all. Yeah, because I have seen that in sure. real life. Yeah. yeah. In Puerto Rico. I have seen that all the time. That's well, why it's... Yeah. yeah. That's that's why it's uh, there. There are mothers and there are mothers. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think uh, uh, Laurie Metcalf's character was a uh, way better mother than. Uh, oh yeah. No, oh my god, yeah, the mother <laughs> that the mother in, in in Florida Project because at the beginning she didn't really care about her daughter. In the end, though, in the end, when she realizes what's uh, what's gonna happen next, I think that's the moment she realized she realized that she loves her daughter and she wants what's what's best for her. In that moment, in the end, not not in the beginning. It, it's something that's very uh, how do I say? Like it's 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 getting cook during the movie i don't want to use that metaphor but it's the only thing I, i'm thinking right now uh you know and it's getting uh, uh better and better and better until it's perfectly done so yeah uh, that's that's how i see the Faria project it's 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 that mother that doesn't care but with time she she gets to the role because she 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 had the, this girl uh, at a very young age and It was actually a kid uh, racing another kid. Yeah. That's how I see it. And, you know, that was the other point I was going to make is that Mm -hmm. Haley is actually much closer in age to Lady Bird than Mm -hmm. to Laurie Metcalf. Mm -hmm. So in a lot of ways, they're both um, almost like similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're almost like similar people. and. Well. Well, and I want to say something here really quick. Um, 
with the with the Florida project, you have a mother who kind of uses her kid as, you know, I, I don't I, I don't know if token is the right word, but to, you know, this kind of like thing that she had an accessory, you mm-hmm. know, to sort of like continue her life and re- and you know, her life's not glamorous. She's living out of a motel. You know, there are issues. Um, but I think the, the, the power in the movie comes from Mooney, you know, comes from the kids, mm-hmm. you know, resiliency and just this, you know, this sort of spirit that just, I mean, on some level, she knows that they're not in a great spot, but she plays with her friends and she, she's okay. And she, I, I really, my, my heart really like, you know, broke a little bit because you're watch you're watching it through the eyes of an adult but you're seeing it through the eyes of a, of a child and mm-hmm. so it's like this heart a completely heartbreaking thing of like oh my god you know how ma- you know how many of us have had these moments i mean not these specific moments but like these realization th- you know and then we don't realize it till later and it's this kind of it's hard to put into words but yeah um very powerful kind of uh, aesthetic book can I just say that we can both agree that the worst mother of 2017 is Jennifer Lawrence, as mother. <laughs> oh, come uh, on. No. Oh, she, she's actually yeah. the best. She's actually the best mother Oh, my God, but can we years. not spend the next 10 minutes on that movie? Is that at all? Can I make one request on this podcast? Okay, it's, a, okay. it's a giant mess. It's a giant so mess. So let, let's stop it then. Well, you know, but she's the best. I, I want to I wanna mention the Florida Project just one more time because um, I don't have it in my top five. I really, really liked it. But when I was yeah. considering where to put it, um, I just, you know, it's such a difficult watch. That I don't, you know, and because you, you'll probably notice that a lot of my favorites are movies that are just pure enjoyment. Okay. Um, yeah, I yeah. did mention Detroit, and Detroit is a horror film in a lot of ways. Yeah. <laughs> but the film yeah. project yeah. is like, you know, it's so many people live on that kind of mm. that fringe. fringe. Yeah, and it's 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 yeah. I mean, it's hard to watch, but I mean, it's really good. But I wanted to. Um, Throw a big shout out to Willem Dafoe, who is just fantastic. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, and, uh-huh. and especially yeah. Bobby. You know, I I know this scene gets brought up a lot, but I I fucking loved when he when he saw that old guy who was about to you know the creeper guy. Oh, yeah, uh-huh. who was about to do something, and he's like, "Are you thirsty?" You know, and he brings him over <laughs> the vending machine, and then I love it. He's like, as soon as he takes one sip, he's like, he knocks the can out of his hand. He's like, "Get the fuck out of here," you know. <laughs> So oh god that was brilliant. Oh and then of course I uh, you know I just loved it. I I laughed so much when the kids were like um ch- checking out that that old woman's tits. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to mention when they're eating the ice cream in the office. Oh that's of, funny uh, too. Yeah. <laughs> I love but it. Something oh, about come on! Yeah. yeah. But so, well and I was yeah. I was reading an interview where Sean Baker said that he wanted to kind of do his little rascals. So oh, like in oh, scenes oh. like that, it yeah. really kind of shows. Mm-hmm. It's like, Oh yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. God, that was funny. And then like that, she starts complaining that like he touched her <laughs> inappropriately. <laughs> and it's like, come on. No, he did not. <laughs> I don't know. Just great. Um, so anyway, are we uh, ready to each give our number t- our number five? Yes. Okay. So Robin, yes. you're up first. Uh, so again, it's going to be a random order. I'm going to pick this film specifically because there's a little story behind it. 
which Al, you're aware of. Um, few couple of months ago, Al, you asked on Facebook like a recommended film you haven't seen yet, mm. like an open question, and I said uh, a film called On Body and Soul, which is a Hungarian film. Oh yeah, I do remember that. It's set in a slaughterhouse, but it's not about slaughter. It's it's a it's like a very sedate romance, and it's it's so good. It's like nothing else this year, and. On that very conversation, do you remember Ian Thomas chipped in? <laughs> oh yeah, that's yes, that's what caused that whole like rift when he unfriended <laughs> yeah. you and everything. So yeah, so he unfriended me after that, and he uh, deleted me off the Twitter as well. Yeah, because right. he was usually it's like a regular, you know, he was a regular reader of the site. He was a uh, he interacted, but this just well, we rubbed each other up the wrong way because he, I don't think he'd seen it, but it claimed. Why would you watch something like you know kills animals, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. And he just completely misunderstood the, the point of the film. There's a the opening sequence. I don't I don't know if anybody's seen it, but it introduces a slaughterhouse and you see cows. You know, yeah. You don't really see him getting slaughtered, but you get the idea. And it is disturbing, but it's a massive strange paradox to the actual romance of the film. It's a setting. You know, this is the real world. It wasn't comfortable for me to watch, but he took a huge defence to it. Like, do not watch this aisle, basically. And we had a bit mm-hmm. of a... Yeah, that's right. Crosswords. Um, <laughs> and, and then he buggered off. And uh, since then, I've lost a Twitter follower and I've lost a friend on Facebook. Yeah, that, but, that whole thing was just very odd. And he, he's like, maybe I'm just in a bad mood tonight. I'm like, yeah, but I think, you know, because, like, you know, it's one thing to just, you know, state an opinion, but it's another to pick a fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really bizarre. I just generally, it, it can be grumpy, can't it? But it was, that was like particularly yeah. odd. And then to follow up, to follow up, I don't think I particularly said anything harsh, and I'm not going to say anything harsh on the podcast. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was out of order, and I stand by my defense of that movie, and that's in my that's in my top ten. Well said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Round of applause. <laughs> I don't know if anyone can hear that. <laughs> you know, by the way, that film yeah. that film was on Mubi. I don't know if you even go on Mubi, M U B I. Uh but you get films on there you can't get anywhere else. And you can watch them for free if you subscribe. It's a bit like Netflix, but you get and you get the old films as well, like like classic series of old films, European directors, Asian directors. Nice plug. Um, and it's a great site. It's a great site for like listing like letterbox, but slightly different. Yeah, but yeah. That's where I saw that. I saw that okay. on there. Cool. Yeah, uh, um, yeah I know Patty uh, Mulholland has mentioned that a couple times as well. I think uh, or movie at least, not not on body and soul. Right. Um, no. So when you mentioned uh, about animals, it made me think because I was going to say this. Um, B, I think you were the one that mentioned Okja. Mm. Um. I pronounce it Okja, but I think the proper, probably the proper pronunciation is if you go by the little girl, she says Okaya. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okaya. 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 Shane. Right. In America, it's Shane, I think. No, in America, it's Babe. Never mind. Yeah. All right, so um, Rob, I think you're up next. Yep. Uh, so my number uh, number five uh, best film of the year is Good Time, uh, which I believe uh, Robert, Robert Pattinson was robbed of an Oscar nomination, and mm. I, I can say that with a straight face. 
Um, I really, it's, we've been, we're a long way away from Twilight. We're like, you know, yeah, um, yeah. but no, I thought, I thought that his character, Constantine was, I mean, this, this odd sort of, um, I don't know, Dostoyevskian character, you know, he sort of does love his brother, you know, he really does want to help him, but he also is a self-serving criminal. And so he uses his brother who has a disability to sort of commit this crime and, you know, his brother can't really, you know, help himself. You know, he's not, he himself isn't a criminal like like he is. And he gets, you know, caught up in, you know, uh, caught up with police. And he's, you know, in the criminal justice system while, you know, Rob, Rob Pattinson's character, Constantine's like running around, cause, you know, causing all kinds of trouble. And, you know, the movie sort of ends in this really dramatic and impactful uh, way. And it's just... Uh, it's just kind of a haunting movie, and it's a really uh, harrowing performance by Pattinson. So, would you call oh, yeah. Good Time a good time? <laughs> um, I would because I love dark crime narratives. I okay. mean, my I mean, my my favorite movie of all time is Once Upon a Time in America, which is mm-hmm. if you watch the uh, you know the most complete version, it's four hours and three minutes long. Wow! So, you know, and I just <laughs> can spend that time in that world because it's so beautifully done and that music and but but yeah no um and good time is sort of an updating on the crime you know the crime narrative as it is and it's this sort of you know shaky uh you know alive kind of filmed movie that's um you know i can see where it might be a little jarring for some people or just not their cup of tea but um yeah i i really really liked it but you know i i want those kind of conflicted morally you know morally ambiguous characters to sort of follow for two hours yeah, it's like um, it's like an adrenaline ride, and it's yeah. like bookended by two really, really quiet scenes. Like the last scene with the credits, I've got to give it away, but the last scene with the credits roll. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's such a sweet scene. And mm-hmm. the opening, which I think the opening scene is the best scene in the film, mm-hmm. um, when the brother's talking and he's getting really paranoid about the questions, and then Rob Patterson comes in, and it's like, it's just, it's just acting and lighting at its finest. It, it really is. And then it just goes absolutely crazy, and it's like yeah. adrenaline. And then it's quiet again at the end, and it's yeah, it's, it's like nothing else. It felt very like a, a film from the nineteen seventies as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It really, you know, obviously updated, but at the same time, it had that sort of Vibrant. feel. Yeah, yeah, it had that real feel to it, like a, almost like a early Martin Scorsese mm-hmm. picture. You know, I, I was I, thinking maybe Sidney Lumet. Yeah. Because, I mean, like, you know, like, before the devil knows you're dead kind of thing. Watch it with Midnight Cowboy. There you go. There's a double bar. Oh, now you're talking one of my favorite films. Yeah. Very oh, different, but very similar, you know. Yeah, good choice. <laughs> <laughs> well, my number five, <clears throat> it's a small film called, uh, how is it pronounced? Uh, Robin Dunkirk? Dunkoy. <laughs> <laughs> Dunkirk, okay, whatever. Dunkirk. <laughs> uh, yeah, Christophe Nolan. Yeah. Oh my God! No, I can't. I just can't. I, I'm just gonna call it Dunkirk. Dunkirk by Christopher Nolan, of course. Uh, uh, well, I think it was the best experience I had in the theater this year. Uh, mm-hmm. Sorry, last year, uh, uh, because it, it's. It, uh, I managed to watch it in IMAX, not on seven millimeters, because in Puerto Rico we didn't have that kind of theaters. Uh, 
So yeah, IMAX, and I went with my little brother, and we enjoyed it so much yeah, because we we had all the sound surrounding us mm-hmm. and the big screen in front of us. Uh, you know, it, it was like we were there in the war, uh, especially at the beginning in the, in the beach. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and there's a complaint of uh, from people that. The characters uh, are not well written, but somehow I differ because even though they're not, uh, how do I say, uh, we're not profoundly uh, invested in them, we actually care for them because there's some traits they had, especially uh, Mark Rillian's character, uh, that we... uh, we managed to, you know, understand what they feel and what, uh, what they're going through and why they're doing what they're doing, uh, you know, and yeah. that feeling of, of patriotism, too, uh, that, that's amazing what, what Nolan did uh, to transmit that feeling of, of patriotism that somehow is important how he did it because it's a patriotism that it's clean, that it's not humiliating someone else. You know, it's it's make exactly it's making uh, Great Britain uh, exactly Great Britain uh, proud of everyone that composed Great Britain. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. It's 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 not insulting so, <laughs> some parts of you know, like we have now in in the United States that some areas. Well, you know, it's kind of sad what's happening here yeah. and around the world, honestly. So, I like what Christopher Nolan did. In that movie, that's, that's why it's in my top five. Who's next? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I think I'm next. I I agree with what you said. For me, it was like the parts were terrific. They didn't uh, stitch together the way I, I. But you know, I, I I love your explanation. It's great. Um, and actually, it's funny. My number five is my best experience, uh, my best theatrical experience. Of the year. I did see Dunkirk in seventy millimeter at one of these new Alamo draft houses, the one that's here in San Francisco, uh, wow. and that was a great experience. Um, but my best experience in the theater this year, and I assure you that this, my number five, will not be even in a top ten if you only see this movie on video. Um, is uh, and I know a lot of people have a right to disagree with what I'm about to say, but Blade Runner uh, 2049, I recognize its misogynistic elements. Uh, I recognize that it was static and still, um, and you know, almost to the point of parody. You know, um, but I don't know. There was something about every shot being this beautiful Roger Deakins painting that mm-hmm. just carried me. I mean, it was just unlike any other experience. I feel like um, it's in my top five for much the same reason that I think Twin Peaks is in the every single critic's top 10 of TV because there's nothing else like it. You know, it just, when you went to that TV show of the year, by the way, can I ask this August panel something? Does Twin Peaks count? Could, could Twin Peaks be coming up in people's top five? I'm just curious. Cause like, Nick Pinkerton, for example, at ReverseShot.org, made a, an extensive case for why Twin Peaks, yet the 18 hours, should count. It was a can, blah, blah. It should count as uh, one of the movies of the year. Can I ask you smart people, uh, would, is Twin Peaks eligible for your top five? No. 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 Okay. Oh. 
I well, agree. <laughs> I don't um, think it should be eligible. So, okay. The Third Act podcast. I know them because they're friends with the Flixation podcast, guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, Christian Estabrook is the, the host of the Third Act podcast. And they just recently put out their best of. Yeah. And Christian put uh, Twin Peaks The Return at number two on his list. Uh, for a film. For he's a, counting. He's calling it an 18-hour film. Correct. Yeah. Mm. Yep. And yeah, he said, I he goes, I, and I disagree. Yeah, That's yeah. just the way things are. He was getting flack, but, Good. you know. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was a little strange. I'm like, what? Wait a minute. But, you right. know, I mean, yes. Right. But I'll, I want to cede the stage now to Bianca, but I want to just, just for, for me, Blade Runner, like Twin Peaks, was like nothing else and in a wonderful way. You know, like you just didn't have anything else like it where you could lose yourself. And for me, the narrative was enough. I mean, I wouldn't say this about like what dreams may come, the old Robin Williams movie. I mean, that's also yeah. like nothing else, but like it's boring. Um, this was, <laughs> I, I thought enough of a, of a ride that I could, you know, I, it was, I was into it basically. Um, I thought Dennis Villeneuve, I never pronounced his name right, you know, put, did enough to carry me along. So sorry. Now I'll, I'll see the stage. Thanks. Um, my number five is also Rob's um, and a good time. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. And I found it to be sort of a film you had to watch all in one go um, to really appreciate it. Uh, you know, it's so often nowadays with films, you kind of, if you're watching them at home or on, you know, on, on the DVD or Netflix or on iTunes, you can just, you're not enjoying it. You can sort of stop it, go get a biscuit and a cup of tea uh, or a cookie. In Thank you. For, Thank you. Sorry. I'm, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, you could sort of, you know, if you're not enjoying it, you can come back to it another day or, you know, just give up watching it. But, uh, which I think we've, we've lost the magic of film in a way by having it on demand and, and in our control. Uh, but with a film like Good Time, I've, I've said before, it was echoing the you know, 1970s cinema, which is my favourite period uh, of cinema history, with this idea that every, t- every time you watch a film from that era, you do want to commit to the whole two hours of just sitting there and just being in the zone of the picture like you know you were saying Daniel about Blade Runner 2049 you know you're in that zone for the whole course of that movie it's one of those movies that you you want to watch all in one go because there's so much going on visually and you're fully absorbed into that world and that's the experience I had with Good Time. And also just that ending. I, I, I won't give anything away, but I have such a... I don't know what it is, but if a film makes me cry, I, I like it. <laughs> that's quite a weird thing to say, but if a film can make me cry without be, resorting to sort of Spielberg type of... Sentimentality. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Or, you know, like Marley and me, we all know the dog. Oh, gosh. Sorry, spoilers, the dog dies in Marley (laughs) and me. But 
I don't like it if it's over the top or if it's deliberately forcing you to have an emotional response. I, I um, so that's what I liked about Good Time is that the emotional response almost you're so invested in the characters and you get to know them and like you say we don't really know they're not good characters they're not bad characters they just seem conflicted and they seem real Uh, and like I said that's what one of the problems I had with Lady Bird was because the main character didn't feel very real to me and felt like a cliche but yeah um, a good time is a good time (laughs) well I think it it immerses you it does a really good job of immersing you into a world and then you're kind of stuck there with the characters but you want to be because they're interesting and so that sort of carries you through and like gets you to a point where you can cry where you can feel something real for um, what's going on or what's happening Um, and I think that's I mean that's at least why I go to the movies you know (laughs) so all right well um before I say what my number five is, uh, you know, a good time. Like, there was a lot of movies this year that had WTF moments. But I don't think there was as big a WTF moment as when uh, Robert Pattinson just, like, turns over and he starts making out with that girl on the couch. And I'm like, wait, that girl's, like, 14, dude. Yes. What the hell? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's 16? Was... Yeah. He didn't say she... he's not a scumbag. I mean... <laughs> She did a great job because <laughs> yeah, I would have panic out of uh, out of that scene because I, I when I saw it, I was like, "Damn, what the fuck!" It was like that scene when uh, in the book of Henry when Sarah Sarah Silverman kisses the kid. Sorry, spoilers. Oh my god, I didn't I didn't warn this before. <laughs> yeah, so that was that was awful. Sorry, guys. Well, don't worry. That spoiler is out of context anyway. We don't know what it means. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna watch it and you're gonna say what the fuck and yell like I did. I yelled for five minutes. Like, what? It's happening? Oh my god! Like that yeah. in my room. So yeah, no. Okay. <laughs> no. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, but yeah, my number five uh, was Joel's number five, and that would be Dunkirk. Uh, one of the few movies I saw twice in the theaters in 2017. And the interesting thing is, is I saw it in two different theaters, and I swear the aspect ratio was two different aspect ratios. Mm-hmm. So that's just such a trip. Like, for me, like, aspect ratio is actually one of my favorite things about film. And I always hate when they mess with an aspect ratio and change it up so often, because I'm like, I just want to watch it the way it was intended. So, you know, like, with... IMAX, I know that they kind of, don't they kind of squish the picture together a little bit? Yes. Maybe. <laughs> or at least uh, that's what it seems like, but, you know, I don't know. I mean, they, they know the technology much better than I do, so. Um, but, yeah, Dunkirk is my number five, and I just want to give a shout-out to one um, Harry Styles. Yeah. <laughs> one Direction. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I mean... Right. Um, is it me again? Only if you want it to be. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll pick one of my randomly. I'm going to just roll the dice. Uh, right, we're going to Russia now. A film called Loveless, which was at Cannes last year. Um, and it's kind of about, not a spoiler, but it's kind of a, a kid goes missing, but it's also about the dynamics of the, of the adults in the film. 
Um, and all the kind of the two exes, the two parents are not together anymore. They've got new partners, and they kind of bicker. And it's very dark. If you've seen Leviathan, his last film, uh, it's a really good film. It's quite heavy, but it's, uh, the right the writing is so good. The the dialogue between the adults, uh, and, and it's quite moving as well. I, I won't give anything away, but yeah, Loveless is is in my five, or in my ten rather. Yeah. You know, it's just nice that we still get films from Russia, considering uh, what's going on in the world. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, you I heard, heard about what, what happened. Aren't, aren't, aren't Russian tanks going to be rolling through the streets of D.C.? I mean, we get everything. From <laughs> yeah. Rob, were you just about to mention the plane that went missing? No, I was about to mention that move, that satirical movie that makes fun of Russia. That's like that, that they tried to play in Russia and like, you know, Putin's government basically threatened them with like, oh, you know, the censorship. De- it's uh, like, the death of Stalin. Yeah, the death of Stalin. Yes, Steve ah. Buscemi's in it, and like, there's a bunch of well-known American actors yeah. in it. But, um, but yeah, I haven't seen it. But I, it, there's just like crazy reports that like the theater owners are are worried that they're going to be like, you know, put in jail or like, you know, as enemies of the state or something. And wow. it's just like you're talking about Stalin. That was like, what World War Two era? Like, that was, mm. it was such a long time ago. And they're okay. All right, yeah. let's just. <laughs> But no, I uh, I before we started the podcast, I saw that a Russian plane just went missing today. Oh, and it's carrying seventy-one passengers. Hmm. Well, where, where? I mean, I know Russia, Russia's huge, but where did it go missing? That I don't know. I'm I'm hoping over Russian airspace. <laughs> if yeah. the Dutch have chosen to take revenge for that flight that was shot down by the Russians that killed three hundred people, I, I I may not be able to entirely condemn that you know if we later find out some dutch person was behind this i might be like you know russians did kill 300 anyway moving on <laughs> right <laughs> it's because with this we've become very political in this podcast yes. now we're not going to be able <laughs> unintentional Russia, <laughs> yeah. russians are gonna come for us <laughs> oh well let them come i love it bring the vodka <laughs> and Got a film from japan coming up uh, uh, <laughs> anyway Who's next? I am next. So my fourth best film of the year is Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Um, I, when I saw this movie back in October, I loved it. I was laughing my ass off. I was I was there in the most dramatic moments. I think that Frances McDormand in any other year would be a shoe-in for Best Actress. But I, this year, Best Actress is just like, I don't care who wins necessarily because they're all great. They're like all of these wonderful, strong, fierce um, sort of important, like, female characters. You know, there's Frances McDormand's character in Three, Three Billboards. There's Sally Hawkins' character in The Shape of Water. You know, there is, I, I think Vicky Kreps deserved an Academy Award nomination. Um, Saoirse Ronan is, is really good in Lady Bird, even though I don't think the movie is that great. Um, you know, and, and of course, Margot Robbie as Tanya Harding. I mean, it's just like, this year is so loaded with, with female talent. But um, Three Billboards, I, I love because it's it's not an easy movie to sort of take in it's harsh people acting really ugly to one another and trying to sort of deal with the aftermath of you know all of the events going on and sam rockwell um i think that he's he's has a, a very good chance to win a uh, best supporting actor um for for three billboards because you know he's a character that you know, the movie allows us to see him as he is. Yes, he's a terrible racist. Yes, he does and says awful things. Um, but it doesn't ever judge him. It doesn't ever say, hey, you know, this this guy's really bad. Let's 
let's just he's the villain you know he's the he's the bad guy you know it's no it shows us who he is and um that's sort of the best art like that's the best kind of commentary is to allow the audience to just accept what they're seeing as it is um and all of the sort of all the you know press around it all of the hubbub about you know does it talk enough about police brutality and the people it impacts in real life i mean it's martin mcdonough telling his story so I, i think that he does a fantastic job i think it's one of the best films of the year um and i i I cried when Woody Harrelson does his note. I'm not going to ruin it, but um, yeah. I just, I, I lost it because it's, it's so beautiful and you think that he's like a guy that's not wanting to help, but really he's just stuck in the middle. And um, I just think it's a movie about, you know, about people that aren't perfect, that aren't, they live in tough surroundings, they live in these rural areas and, you know, they're, they're flawed people. Um, but I think overall it's a, it's a very, very good movie and um, one that really ha- impacts me. So, I, I, I think people have a problem because it has the comedy side to, aspect to it. I think people yeah. were, uh, and like you were saying, it deals with some really tough subject matters, you know. Mm-hmm. And I don't think people could get over the fact that I had... I noticed that there was people, you know, the scene with the domestic violence and people were like, and, and then you have the girlfriend, the 19 year old girlfriend who walks in and is like, can I use the bathroom? And it's like mm-hmm. the family all just try in the middle of trying to kill each other type of it, situation. Mm-hmm. And, and and people were like, oh, that was played for laughs. But in real life, you do have these tragic comedy things where, one moment everybody was about to like throttle each other and then something will happen and then you it's a relief and I think people really couldn't get past that watching watching the film and I I still don't understand why there is such a, a, a this controversy regarding it but uh, I don't know uh, I think it went part over way over some people's heads they just were like huh if it's not explained and people aren't punished at the end and yeah um it almost people just get a bit frustrated with it but like you you were you know saying that it is a very good film and um it's a bit i've missed it off my top five but i have included it in my top 10 so it's been a really hard hard decision to make but well, I think you two have mounted an excellent defense for it. I don't think, uh, I mean, I, I would only say my issues with it are not about people being punished. Uh, I, everything that Pulitzer Prize winner Wesley Morris said in the New York Times about it, people can Google that very easily, Morris, M-O-R-R-I-S, uh, is, is, what I, is my case against the film. But I, I don't want to linger on it. I think you made a great case for it um so it's not about people being punished it's about a hundred other things but anyway but you know i think great great case for it it's film is subjective it's fine um you know if it wins that's fine too well then so i enter with my number four uh by the way rob you forgot to mention in the nominees for best actress that rookie oh my god that rookie oh my god her name Meryl uh, Street, yeah yeah, Meryl Streep. She <laughs> so, gave a great first performance. Oh my I god! I know she's amazing. <laughs> I yeah, hope I, I hope out. we see her in a Marvel movie. 
Yeah. <laughs> I left her out because I mentioned last week that I, Vicky, I think Vicky Kreps should really have gotten it for Phantom Thread just because I really loved her performance and vulnerability. But no, she absolutely. I did leave no, her yeah. out. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's okay. I, I, I agree with you uh, about Vicky Kreps and you will know why <laughs> later. Uh, okay. <clears throat> uh, my number four is Blade Runner 2049. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, it's. I mean, it's it's the best sci-fi of the year, uh, uh, and I hate that people didn't appreciate it. Uh, people didn't went to theater to didn't go. Sorry, to theaters to watch it, and that's why we have Denny Denny Villeneuve frustrated right now. He doesn't want to make another film like uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Even though he's gonna he's gonna uh, do uh, John, I think it's the name of the of the next film he's doing. Uh, so yeah, but uh, getting back to the film, it's so beautiful visually. Uh, the storytelling, even if it's slow, uh, it's beautiful too, and and it makes me care for the character of Ryan Gosling, uh, unlike in the or- original Blade Runner that. I didn't really care about Harrison Ford that much. But Denny makes it work for Ryan. So that I like. And that's why I think it's better than the original Blade Runner. And also uh, this, the, the music, uh, the sound design, the everything about it. I, I can't find any complaint about Blade Runner. And maybe, maybe it's it's the pacing, but even that works for me. So that's it's why my number fourth fan of the year. Um, I'm just curious because mm-hmm. I know that people have said that it's um, you know the the, way, the role of the women in the film and how it's sexist and everything. I was I was watching that film. I, I didn't really feel that way. Um, I don't know whether anyone else um, has problems with that, but I, um, oh gosh, the his sort of hologram girlfriend. Um, what's her name? It's uh, Anna the Joy. Actress. Yeah, Joy. Yeah, I I found her to be such a great character and, oh, yeah. and really human, yeah. uh, and and. Even though she's obviously AI, she's um, she really cares for him as well. And I, it's a shame that, like we we're saying, that actresses who haven't got nominated, you know, for uh, have been missed. Like there's been so so many best supporting uh, actors and actresses that have been missed off by by the Academy. And I think that she's she's one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but. She, and also, I love her outfits in the film. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, the costume design was amazing. It's a shame that the Academy went other ways. You know, double nominating, for example, uh, I think it was Colin Atwood that was not double nominated this year. Uh, instead of you know nominating someone like Renee April, who did an amazing job in in the costume design uh, of Blade yeah. Runner. Uh, like Beauty and the Beast uh, was like nominated for the costume design, and that, that's what I'm talking about. She was yeah, nominated yeah. for Beauty and the Beast and Darkest Hour. 
Wait, I was wondering I if the words Beauty and the Beast would appear in this podcast. I, I, no, now I know. No, no, good. Oh, fine. my gosh. Can we she just wants- say that yeah. I thought that Beauty and the Beast was one of the worst films of 2020? <laughs> uh, in any well, 20, so, you know. So I'm going to say something controversial here. I actually, um, this is just for me. It's not a, you know, I don't care how anybody else categorizes it, but animated films, kids, kids films, and animal films are like they just don't they don't compute like they they aren't they're for a certain you know section of the population or for everybody whatever but i don't i don't take them that seriously so yeah that's kind of um bad bad omission on my part but there we go emma watson can't sing so also that yeah is she singing there or is she lip-syncing somebody else's voice i don't know yeah they didn't do the fair lady with her. I, I don't know. I'm asking. I don't know. But okay. um, can I just say, why were they all speaking with an English accent oh, when it's set in France? In France, exactly. Here we go. No, you're right. I just... It's just for if you hate me. Sure. Absolutely. Mark marketing. Well, yeah. well, it goes back to William the Conqueror, Bianca. Let me explain what happened in 1066. No, I'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks for explaining my my nation's history. Yeah, I thought you might need that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Little joke there. Uh, but well, as long as you don't mansplain feminism to me, I think. Yeah, okay. thank you. Right. Good point. <laughs> um, is it is it my turn? No, I think it's Daniel. Right. Uh, yeah, I'll be quick. Just n- my oh, number okay. four, and I don't know how to pronounce it. Okja. <laughs> okay. I loved it. Uh, let's move on to Bianca. Uh, no, seriously, because I don't have anything more to say. I just loved it. Let's move on. Okay. It, it's, no, it's really cute. I, I love it so much. I want one for. Oh my god, I loved everything about it. Uh, but but let's keep going. <laughs> <laughs> um, my number four is the Shape of Water. Mm. Um, I would have it higher on my list, but uh, there's a few things that I had a, a couple of issues with. Um, not anything negative. I just found like uh, uh, the, the swearing kind of felt a bit out of place for me, and uh, with the rest of the film, um, and also the bit of nudity it didn't really that bit didn't really feel necessary for me and i can understand it's you know it's a fairy tale for adults but uh, at the same time it's kind of i can't imagine taking my 92 year old grandmother to go watch the shape of water uh, but but i i did find it very charming and i love Sally Hawkins in that yeah. film. She is amazing. Uh, and Michael Shannon is just, does that guy never play anyone who isn't creepy? It's like So good at it. He's so good, I know, but uh, <laughs> I do love that movie. And um, if it wins Best Picture, um, I think I'll be happy with that, even though um, Dunkirk would be amazing. So, yeah, I, I saw The Shape of Water um, I, probably a month ago, you know, like right before Christmas or just after. But um, 
the first hour, I was just like, oh, okay, is is this what we're doing? Is this the plot we're following? Is the, you know, I'm just like, okay, this is just kind of a standard, okay, Guillermo del Toro, you know, cool visuals, but I'm kind of like, what, where is this going? And then by the end, the end of the movie, I was sitting there crying. You know, I was sitting there just so moved and so, you know, kind of swept up in the, in how romantic it was and how just... You know, the plot is a little, like, you know, kind of throwing the Russian elements in there. And, like, you know, it, that kind of stuff is just seems like, okay, you're trying to just flesh out more story to kind of give to people. That's fine. Um, and I thought some of the the uh, scenes, you know, some of the, like, film scenes of, like, you know, the water moving on the window and, like, the, through the music. And I thought that was extremely beautiful. And um, I think it's a really good film. And I think it'll probably end up winning Best Picture. But... Um, there, there were definitely some problems with it for, for me, but, um, ov- overall, I really, really enjoyed it. Okay. Um, well, before I say my number four, uh, so <laughs> Daniel let me know that he's going to have to leave here now. All right. Well, um, my number four is, oh, let me double check. <laughs> oh, yes. So my next top three in a row are films that I kind of like, uh, they're, one thing I respond to is just visually, you know, like they're just aesthetically pleasing in sort of these mm-hmm. weird, cringy ways, if that makes sense. Like, I don't know, it's hard to explain. You'll understand once I reveal what they are. Um, but they're definitely like you you notice the crafts of them mm-hmm. um, more so than my number one. So my number four and to answer Daniel's question before we started the podcast. Yes, mother is my number Four. Wow. And, yeah, Mother, holy shit. Uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> wow. Like, I, I remember seeing the preview, and I thought, oh, my God, this looks fantastic. You know, and I'm a big Aronofsky fan. Um, yeah. And, you know, he makes films that uh, you, you kind of feel dirty after you saw them. <laughs> yeah. You know, especially the stuff like A Requiem for a Dream and even uh, Black Swan. Or the wrestler, or, you know. yeah, even the wrestler. <laughs> I mean, real gritty shit. And um, mm-hmm. Mother is is one of these films that is it's just so unassuming, and then it just packs the biggest wallop. And you're like, what the fuck was that? That I, you know, I think I need to see this again, even if I'm not even sure if I liked it. And I, I loved it though from from moment <laughs> one, you know, and and I like the way that it it kind of where it ends where it started so that that is just brilliant right there and i watched the behind the scenes making of it and i hadn't considered the visual effects before really but then watching the behind the scenes making uh i was thinking i have to nominate uh mother for uh one of my five for best visual effects uh because they they really did a lot of work on that film um so yeah i got mother at number four and it's got the best baby eating scene of 2017. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least that baby looks more realistic than uh, American Sniper's baby did. Oh, God. That's right. Oh, my God. That's right. Oh. I have, uh, yeah, I haven't seen it. Um, but you don't I need don't, to. You don't no. need to. <laughs> yeah. It's bad. It's American propaganda. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why, is it me again? It is you. Yeah. Yep. Um, 
I'm going to pick a film from Japan, animated film. It's called In This Corner of the World, which is kind of set during the war. Um, it's about a young girl who gets separated from family and the little boy as well. And then it, it's like really powerful drama, brilliant animation. There's a moment where there's bombs going off in the sky and because this is the girl's imagination sees it as like paintbrush splashing like the, mm-hmm. the you know the bombs it's, it's a great film beautiful film on a par with last year's um your name you know that oh, i'm really liking that. it oh, yeah. this this was terrific and so so powerful and um, but never overdoes it uh and, it, and it's just so well rounded i really really enjoyed it um that's something I'll definitely watch again. So that's definitely in my ten. Okay, my um, my third uh, best film of the year. I had a really hard time, you know, switching this with my second pick, just because I, you know, there are some really really good films this year. Um, but my third best film of the year is Dunkirk. Um, it's probably the most is the best cinematic experience that I had this year. Uh, you know, fully knowing going in what it was about, knowing you know this great director Christopher Nolan is going to take on the war movie, you know, kind of, kind of idea. And then sitting there in the dark, seeing those images projected on the screen was was so incredibly moving. You like, you feel like you're there. You feel like you're with these people. Um, You know, I've heard criticisms of like, you know, it's not well-written or characters aren't developed, but it's like, you're watching them. You're watching them as they're going through, these sort of horrors and these, you know, each escalating incident and, you know, each person is in a different part of the, of the battle. And like, you know, it just literally puts you there and it captures it in this absolute sweeping, um, cinematic, uh, kind of, you know, vision. And it's just so incredibly moving and so impressive. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm hard pressed to not put Dunkirk as my favorite film of the year. Um, but there were two things that edged it out, unfortunately. So uh, just from a cinematic perspective, I think it is the best film of the year. I think it technically it cannot be t- you know, touched. It cannot be topped. But, um, you know, that's not all, all that goes into into the, into a movie. So, But, yes, Dunkirk was uh, kind of an incredible cinematic experience and um, probably one that I will not forget <laughs> soon um it kind of reminds me a little bit of inception going to see inception the opening night and just being you know sort of electrified (laughs) after it and not being able to go to sleep till three o'clock in the morning um that's the kind of that's the kind of large-scale cinematic experience that you get with christopher nolan's films and um i feel dunkirk really fits that bill yeah my number three uh it's a netflix film called mudbound I don't know how many of you have seen it, but I, for me, I've seen I really it. want to see it. I really want I to saw see it. it. Yeah, for me, it's. I I don't know why why more people didn't didn't talk about more about this film. Like, it's an important uh, part of our. You know, I consider myself American because Puerto Ricans are uh, American citizens. So so yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, it's part. It's important part of, of our American heritage, you know, uh, American culture, and you know that the, the problem of racism. Uh, it's a problem that has always been there uh, in the U.S. in U.S. history, and how Dee Reese, uh, the director, which is a uh, it's, it's a woman, 
she managed to, you know, create this relationship within, between these two uh, guys that, you know, one is white, one is black. And, you know, they don't care about that. They, they have a common, a common thread. That is that they went to war. They, they have seen the horrors of, of war. And, you know, they understand each other. And they create this, this, this sense of relationship, uh, you know, and, and became, uh, they become friends in the end. And, you know, uh, seeing how their families interact with each other, especially uh, Garrett Hedlund's uh, uh, character's brother uh, and his father, which is the biggest, and I'm sorry for the cursing, the biggest asshole I have seen all year in a movie. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's frustrating. It's, and it's frustrating because we, we see that today still. That was in the 50s, the late 40s, 50s, early 50s. And we see, we see this. We still see this. Why we haven't changed at all. That's, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the part I got from, from Mudbound that, that makes it so important. That what's happening there, it didn't stay there. We have it in our society still today. And, and we need to fix this, fix this somehow. We need, to, we need to be better people because in the end, we, we're all the same. We're, we're going to die. Uh, you know, <laughs> we should you know, tolerate pe- people for what they are, what they believe in. Uh, and I think that's part of the message that, that wants uh, to send us that movie. And that's how they take it. And that's why it's my number three of the year. Wow, you've really sold that to me. Um, I'm definitely going to watch watch it now. So, mm-hmm. uh, seeing how moved you are with that film um, and the passion and the response you've had to it, it's amazing. So, uh, I feel kind of um, embarrassed slightly that I have not uh, not really got around to it. Um, so, uh, I will make sure to watch it as soon as I can and. Um, <coughs> Uh, like I say, uh, your response has really sort of sold that movie to me. Well, thank you. It's just that it, it got to me, especially a certain scene near the end that oh I think God, most yeah. most of you, yeah, uh, that one. Oh my God! Watch it, Bianca. Okay. Just watch it. Yeah. Will it? Will it- <laughs> It, will it make me cry? No, it, it'll make know. you... I, I think it'll make you... I don't know. You'll, you'll, I don't know. <laughs> I think you'll probably get know. really mad. Okay. I got well, really mad. I so I don't um I don't <laughs> I not not to be a descending voice or anything, but I, I saw Mudbound and I liked it a lot. I actually thought the cinematography was great for a Netflix film is kinda what I said to myself, but it's just great cinematography, you know, and of course the I believe she, she got nominated um for Mudbound, uh the 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 uh, DOP or the D P. Yeah. Um but um I, I I just had problems towards the end. It was going along really well, and then uh-huh. it sort of. Th- I mean, you sort of have um, Jonathan Banks in there as like you know. The, the, I, I don't want to say he's a he's a cartoon cutout of a racist, but yeah, I mean you know, and you're dealing with that time period, so okay, that's that's believable to some degree. Um, but then they pick up. I think it's Roncel, you know, towards the end, and and what what they basically you know. 
I, I'm trying to think. I think his name's Jamie, the character. They basically make Jamie pick whatever you know punishment he thinks is is due, or else they'll they'll end up killing him anyway. And I, you know, I don't know. Like the whole thing felt just like it didn't really like they wanted it to be somewhat of a of a victim narrative. You know what I'm saying? Because like he's about to get at like he's he's about to we're about to hit the end of the movie, and then all of a sudden they capture him. You know, so something awful has to happen to to sort of reach the climax of the film so mm. I, it it just didn't it didn't really work for me i guess as a whole but i i would say 80 percent of the way it was a really really good movie and it's definitely worth checking out so yeah and the cast is amazing everyone in it like mm-hmm. uh mary j blige uh, who got nominated uh yeah. jason mitchell oh my god and garrett hedlund of course yeah. Uh, his brother, I forgot the name of the actor, but he's amazing too. Uh, Jason Jennifer, Clark, yeah. Jason, Jason Clark, Clark yeah. thank you. Uh, uh, Jonathan Banks, and for me, my MVP of the movie is Carrie Mulligan. Oh my oh, God. Oh yeah, she's great. Yeah, she's, uh, she doesn't uh, appear in most part of the movie, but the, the scenes she's in, the expression of her face uh, and yeah. how she says uh, things you know it, she's not only being there she she's she's there and i i the only uh, the, the the only time i think about someone with such a performance was last year uh viola davis in fences yeah. which had we had a which she had a lot of scenes where she doesn't say anything but her expression says a lot so that's that's what carrie milligan character uh, reminded me of uh, when i was watching the movie so yeah, go check it out if you can, please. Yeah, I um I have a giant crush on Carrie Mulligan, so I will watch anything that she's in. So, uh, full disclosure. Yeah, <laughs> I agree with that. Okay. I like her too. <laughs> yeah. Um. So Daniel's up next, and I'm gonna read his number three. He has Mudbound. So oh. Oh, he... I wanted to talk with him about that. Then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. It's okay. Yeah. Um. <laughs> okay, um, okay. Um, Florida Project is my uh, third pick, and I've said pretty much my reasons why. Yeah. And uh, for me, I felt it was, I'll just say this, I felt it was our generation's paper moon, in oh, a way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that's one of my all-time favorite films. So, mm. uh, and the fact that Sean Baker has not been nominated for Best Director is something that um, I actually shed a tear or two. So, uh, <laughs> but yes, uh, that's all I have to say. Uh, my number three, because I was talking about how Mother was the first in a row that were kind of just visually dazzling films. <laughs> and number three for me is the best edited film of the year, and that is Baby Driver. Oh. Okay. I love yeah. that one. Yeah. Um, Edgar Wright is just a genius. And I love the way that he basically made a musical without making a musical. And yeah. dare I yeah. say that over the last year, uh, Edgar Wright made the better musical than Damien Chazelle. Whoa. Um, it is arguable, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I no, love La I La, 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 La Land. Yet. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, okay. I, but, um, yeah, Edgar Wright, oh, my God, that guy just knows film, and he knows directing. And um, Baby Driver, I mean, like, for instance, that long tracking shot with the, you know, the bell Beginning. bottoms, I think, or 
or whoever it was. Yeah. Well, no, it wasn't the. It was like when he was getting the coffee. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. After the first initial yeah. scene, yeah. And you know, he had actually done that before with Shaun of the Dead. He did the same kind of tracking shot where he's kind of, mm-hmm. um, you know, because what Shaun was walking from his flat to the local store to get like the ice cream cone, I think, or something. Mm-hmm. Cornetto. The co- yeah. Yep. Yep. No, that's yep. right. Okay. And so, yeah, I just I I've seen a Baby Driver probably the most times of any film this year. I've seen it at least three three or four times, and I just I'm just like, wow, you know, the timing of everything, just the way it all came together is just immaculate. Um, and he and you know, and I'll say this: he made Ansel Elgort um, not wooden. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Can I ask you something really quick, Al? I just yeah. want to know: um, Did you have a problem with the female lead? Um, are you talking because about L- Lily James? Yeah, I had such problems with her performance. I was like, is she supposed to be just this complete, like, naive kind of? And like, her delivery, I just thought was off. Mm-hmm. And then on top of it, John Hamm just did not work as the, <laughs> like as the villain. It just like, dude, I love you as Don Draper. I love you so much. Just you can't mm-hmm. do this, you know? Oh, yeah. he was. He was far better in Marjorie Prime so he makes up for his performance in Baby Driver well you know Rob I'll say this so I like Lily James in this film but also I have to say partly it's it's the first film I've ever seen her in okay and also like I just thought she was so pretty that like I just kind of like had stars in my eyes Okay. Oh, fair enough. Wow. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but I will say that, you know, I didn't like Darkest Hour as much as I love Baby Driver, but she's actually better in Darkest Hour. Yeah. Um, and as for John Hamm, I, you know, he's hamming it up. Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> there you go. He's, he's oh. looking his namesake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the problem with Lily James was writing more than her performance. Okay. Like in both, in both uh, Darkest Hour and Baby Driver. Because I, I, I found her, her presence like like it was good for the film that she was there, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, I kind of see why you know uh, she didn't necessarily need to be there too. You know, uh, it's it's yeah, she, she was. I think it was more of a of a script thing that than her performance because she didn't have uh, uh, much to do. So yeah, so mm-hmm. yeah. The same yeah. happens in Darkest Hour. And, yeah, I agree she's kind of better there uh, than Baby I Driver. Can I just say, mm-hmm. one of my, if I'm going to have any criticism of Edgar Wright, uh, is that he doesn't know how to write for female characters. So, um, I mean, I don't know. that's true. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, yeah, I'm just thinking of um, other films, but, there's not very much of a female presence in Shaun of the Dead, really, or Hot Fuzz, Hot Fuzz yeah. or um, End of the World or whatever. End of the World, the... yeah, yeah. Rosamund Pike is in that, and she's very underused. Um, yeah, she's a really good actress, so yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But that's just one of my criticisms of him, if I was going to say anything. Yeah. so yeah, No, and that's totally fair. Um yeah, it almost feels like he writes women as just sort of side characters. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem, you know, if he wants to continue uh, to grow as a filmmaker. Yeah. Uh, because we, 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 the, the audience is more, uh, what's the word? Uh, oh my aware. God. Aware and uh, 
demanding. The, mm-hmm. the, the, the audience is more demanding and they're asking for representation, you know, of everything. You know, we need more woman roles, better woman roles. We need that, more people, yeah. for, you know, you know, but you know, that, that, that makes well sense written. with the story. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well yeah. written and, and, and that it makes sense with the story that you're going to mm-hmm. tell. Because, yeah. you know, obviously there are time frames in history where it doesn't make sense that certain uh, characters appear because oh, we need more representation about that kind of character, you know. Uh, you know, that when it's about that, then it makes sense that doesn't appear or, or wo- more women or more people mm-hmm. of color, more Asians or whatever, uh, you know. But in this modern era, if you're going to, you know... Uh, do a story in the present, Mm -hmm. then you need representation because everyone is present and everyone is an important uh, force in the story. Yeah. Yeah. Can I just say, um, he could make a sequel to Baby Driver but call it Lady Driver (laughs) and have a female central lead. Yeah. That would be I like that. (laughs) I mean, if we could get Christopher Nolan to do a Western musical... We can get Edgar Wright yeah. to have a female to make lady lead. driver. Yeah, lady driver. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or lady driver versus the world. Ooh, I love it. <laughs> I think it's Robinson, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. So the last two. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, so the last two, I'll, I'll just say one. Two of the divestive films of the year. The first one is. Uh, the Killing of the Sacred Deer, which is mm. agonised over. It's either, like, it could be your best film of the year, or it could be, like, number 25. Yeah, so right. I thought, I've watched, watched parts of it again. Um, I'm, you know, and I'm not just biased because of the Greek director, but I'm a huge fan of Randy Moss. This is, this is just an excellent film. And I'm going to say my other choice as well, because the, the comparable. Mother is my other one. Oh, nice. Both films, both films are, like... <laughs> you watch him and you're like, oh, this is genius. Oh, what the fuck's this? Oh, this is genius. What the fuck? Yeah. I think more so, more so with Mother, because um, Killing the Sick is a lot more sort of um, quieter, down, you know, um, quite subdued, but very, very, very creepy. Um, and Mother is like, when I was in the cinema watching that, uh, at the end, and Al, you can, you can vouch for this, Mm-hmm. When when she when the carry when he carries her away and she's all you know barbecued, yeah. People people behind me were laughing, and really, it just, yeah, and it just upset me a little bit because it was like just for that moment because the film it just enraptures you so much and I didn't know how much I liked it and I didn't I had no idea but I knew that that was like someone interrupting you during like lunch, yeah. You know, you know it was like mm-hmm. and I just was like. I was not upset. I didn't cry or anything, but I was just like almost ruined it for me. Just the people laughing. I thought you've got no business going to a cinema. Yeah, and I, I know you brought. <laughs> it's yeah, it's and inappropriate. That, that, yeah. that annoys me. Oh laughing, yeah, like, you don't get it. I had the most annoying old ladies talking all the way through <laughs> um, a ghost story, oh. and and they were, "What's going on? What's going on? What's going on?" Look, just mm. watch the film. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just you, shut up. Yeah, if you'd shut the fuck up and paid attention, you wouldn't have to keep asking. And then, and then they they made they with the pie scene, 
they were five minutes into it. It's a very long scene. And then it just got up and went out. I was just like, <laughs> oh, thank, oh, thank God you've left. Because I could not stay another... I, I really, I don't like telling people to shut up in the cinemas, but I was almost tempted to be like, get up out of my seat, walk across to them, bitch slap them and be like, shut up. <laughs> and then it's everyone really would applaud you. Everyone yeah. would applaud you. Well, there was only uh, myself and them in the, in the theater. <laughs> oh. so. I'm sorry. I'm thinking American but cinemas. The... American <laughs> cinemas. I don't know what British right. cinemas are like. <laughs> <laughs> and you can understand why the you can understand unfortunately why the academy didn't go for this but Darren Aronofsky you know if even maybe beyond Nolan to some respect because he had a lot of help like with you know visual effects cinematographers etc etc but what Aronofsky does in that third act and I was watching it and I was thinking how does how does anyone direct this how do you direct it how do you see it in your head how do you edit it how do you get those actors to do that yeah. It's like I've nothing I've ever seen. And he should have maybe should win the Oscar just for that final act. But the build up to it, and I know you mentioned earlier the the sound design of the film, you know, when she puts the glass on the ceramic bathroom thing and just like goes everything about it. And at the end when she's having those contractions and the camera's shaking with her. It, it's it's just it's just I probably I'm probably gonna say it is a masterpiece, although a lot of it did make me feel like you know yeah whoa. well you know the other thing for me with mother is the fact that like at first i thought it was one thing then i started hearing no it's another thing like i kept hearing about all of the um allegories to the bible but you know the more mm-hmm. i thought about it it's not just about the bible it is about a whole bunch of things layered on top of each other yeah it's so interesting you know it's- yeah well it's it's um, like um, it's like that you know documentary Room Two Three Seven about The Shining that mm-hmm. we all watch movies and we all get different interpretations and we I mean there are so many ways to read a movie and something like Mother it's like you I think the biggest achievement is Darren Aronofsky it, you know movies are all about control I mean you can tell a story about anything but as a director you have to have a hold on what that is what that story is what that vision is that means that he had that in his head and said, everything's going to seem fucking crazy, everything's going to be, like, going up against the, you know, but it's it's in my head, and I'm in control of it, you know, and there's something very calming about that, <laughs> there's something very, like, like, I feel safe, because Darren Aronofsky is a fucking madman, I feel safe, <laughs> that I don't have to yeah. live, I don't have to do that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the way it changes, the way it transitions at the end as well. It's like if you looked at if you looked at the edit, the editor probably sat there at the scenes, and he probably thought you're going to do that, then that, then that. That doesn't make any sense because there's mm-hmm. twenty people now. There's forty now. There's now there's cages now. There's people now. There's terrorism, but when he puts it together, it's you, you can't believe what's happening. It's almost like you're missing missing something because the camera moves, right. and yeah. then there's there's a riot, and then there's and it's like I, I don't know how he saw that in his head and storyboarded it. Must have been. Can I just say, I know this is going to sound a bit weird, but I felt it was very much like a video game. You know, mm. playing it with virtual uh, with a virtual reality headset. Yeah. I don't yeah. know whether you've played that sort of stuff, like the Oculus Rift type of thing. Whereas you turn your head, um, something changes over in the corner, and then you look around and back again, and there's something, something there. <laughs> like that fear of like not wanting to turn your head away and then suddenly there's like 
like you were saying, or swarms of people coming in. But oh, I, I'm not too sure about my feelings towards killing of a sacred deer. I'll right. just only because I just had some real problems with the use of the Ellie Golding song. Um, <laughs> yeah, that whole scene just there was no context to that scene like she just they're just going for a walk and then she just starts singing yeah it's, I, yeah. Really... <laughs> it's a coded language it's, it's part of a, like a coded language i mean the whole movie is sort of in this kind of flat yeah you know abstract almost kind of language that is almost like um yeah i don't know it's like a, a like an old foreign film or an old you know, existential thriller or like I, I, the the language itself is like so important to the the tone of that movie. And again, when I was saying in my honorable mentions, I don't know whether it's a masterpiece or if it's something like that just didn't come out right. Or, you know, I have mm-hmm. to watch it again because it's so like I'm like, this yeah. is I feel like this is very intentional. Like the director knows what he's doing. It's very well filmed. The, the perform like the the Bar- Barry. I forget his name, but Keegan. The, the, Barry, yeah, Keegan. Barry Keegan, who plays the kid or whatever, is fucking creepy. I mean, he huh. plays; he's such a good performance. But the movie as a whole, I just don't. I don't know yet. I have to. I think I have to rewatch it at least well, a couple times. You know, I, I was oh, no. just gonna say, yeah. I felt like uh, the delivery of the lines, in, yeah. especially Nicole Kidman. Uh, I felt like it was, she'd been dubbed or something. Mm. Like mm. she'd been saying something, and then they got her to re-record her lines. Yeah, because well, her delivery. Either and, way, it wasn't like, as bad as uh, uh, Val Kilmer in the Snowman. <laughs> oh no! <Stop>. <laughs> <laughs> also, can I just say it's like you go to a dinner party and you say, "Oh." Our teenage daughter's just started yeah. her period last week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really deadpan, isn't it? The, the director writes right. really deadpan um, dialogue. And then Nicole Kidman actually delivers it really well, but like Colin Farrell, he's, he did it in The Lobster, and he does it again here. And some of the stuff, you're not supposed to laugh. But I don't... Right. When he talks about the, parent, the Barry Keegan's parents, what happened to her, and he's like, mm. uh, they, you know, they crashed into a pole, died instantly. And I laughed. But it's the way he says it. I shouldn't be laughing. That's not funny. But that's that's Landimos, and he's, you know, like the way that he wants the lines delivered, the way he writes them on the page. Yeah. Well, uh, hey, Joel. Joel, have you seen this film? Uh, no, I haven't. But I'm ignoring all of your comments, so I don't. Speak okay. Myself. Okay. <laughs> well, I because I wanted to make one comment, and I don't think it'll spoil anything. So I, but I wanted to check with you first. So okay. My the only I actually really you know I. I, you know, Lanthimos is not exactly my cup of tea, I'll admit it. Although I do, en- I did enjoy watching the, the lobster and the killing of a sacred deer, oddly enough. Because th- there was just something intoxicating about it. But mm-hmm. the one, if I was going to nitpick the, the, the killing of a sacred deer, it's that, so we know that Barry Keegan has this power over this family, right? But yet, we don't know how. We don't know how, like... Is it mind well, control? I mean, what is it? The, it that's, 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 power element of, that's an element of horror, though. The, the not not being able, like, your <laughs> life is falling apart because of your moral failings, right? It's this sort yeah. of, like, commentary, um, you know, not a not a parable, but it's basically an allegorical thing. It's like, this guy fucked up. He, he, like, affected this kid's life, and now 
you know, we don't ever know. We don't ever know. And that's what's kind of terrifying. Yeah. yeah especially right. for Colin Farrell's character. He's like, I'm going to take everything away from you and you're not going to be able to stop me. That's, yeah. I'm sorry. That well, you know, I, I suppose that's, that's probably like, why Colin Farrell was written as a doctor then. Yeah. Because, you know, he believes in science. Right. And this kid, it's almost like a lost episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you sure. know, like yeah. what? Barry Keegan is Locke, John Locke. And um, then Colin Farrell is Matthew Shepard. Yeah. <laughs> or Jack Jack Shepard. Uh, Matthew yeah. Fox. Matthew, Matthew Fox. Fox. Yeah. 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 It's more like Black Mirror, isn't it? <laughs> oh, oh, yes. oh, by the way. Uh, I love yeah. how Matthew Fox gets referenced in something like, um, you know, Knocked Up, you know, <laughs> from like 10 years ago. And now yeah. is he working? Yeah. Is Matthew Fox working? Um, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah, That's I don't a good think, question. But no, yeah, sorry. Random thought. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not working. Um, for good reason. Yeah. Um, so my, my second uh, best film of the past year was The Florida Project. Um, which I've kind of talked about a little bit already. But um, another thing that I found very interesting was the sort of, I thought of like an anti-corporate movie. You know, we have so many, um, you know, superhero blockbusters and Disney movies and whatever. And you have these sort of people on the fringes just outside of Disney World, right? They're just, they're just outside of like the shadow of, um, you know, dreamland and and you know fantasy and all of these wonderful things that we uh, appreciate as as children love and 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 go towards as children but as adults we kind of know the the dark underside of that you know we kind of we know from experience what you know what is in that shadow you know um so i think that it had sort of this powerful economic message but at the same time you know, beautifully showed what it is to be a kid, you know, and, and all the heartbreak and all the, uh, you know, happiness that is associated with that. Okay, so I do my number two. Yeah. My number two, it's, uh, and it's kind of related to my number one because I think those, uh, both those films are the most uh, uh, romantic films of the year. Uh, but my number two, it is Call Me By Your Name. Mm. Uh, uh, there's something about it, uh, something poetic. Uh, it's very beautiful. It's a very beautiful film in all the sense of the word. And I just, oh my God, it, it's, it's beautiful. That's, that's the only gonna, the thing I'm going to say about it. So we can, you know, rush <laughs> and continue to our the number one, which scenes. I'm going to... Yeah, that final scene and and you know the performances oh. by 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 Michael Solberg, uh, Army Hammer, mm-hmm. and of course Timothy uh, Timothy Chalamet. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, these guys. I hope they they find every role they want in the future because yeah. they did an amazing job. And of course, look at one that Nino. Uh, who can direct a film such as uh, so subtle and so beautiful as this one? Like he did, that, you know. It, it, I, it's beautiful. That's the only thing I'm gonna say. Carry on. <laughs> um, my second film is Dunkirk. Mm. Uh, just because I I I like Florida Project and everything but Dunkirk is very much as as a Brit 
I feel like I have to put it at number two. And also, um, it's Nolan. I really hope he does win Best Director um, because he's well overdue it. And um, we've all had criticism. Someone said that Doc Kirk was dull to me Mm. on Twitter. (laughs) And I was just lost for words. It's a lot of things. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of things, but it's not dull. And, <laughs> right. Yeah. Like I said, I the best way to describe it for me is like a roller coaster, and you are I you know you don't need to be given the whole character's backstory because the film's not about that. It's not about character development. It's about survival. Absolutely. Here, here. Um. So. Uh, Daniel's number two is the Florida Project. Okay. And uh, he, he put in parentheses when he texted, or when he was uh, messaging me, he says, which we've discussed enough today. <laughs> <laughs> so I, no. I, I had to put that joke in there. <laughs> Andy um, wrote a great piece on it, on, on Filmotomy. I don't know if you know the website. Go to Filmotomy.com. He wrote a fabulous piece about Florida Project. Nice. Absolutely. And uh, I reviewed it as well. Yeah, um, you did. A, yeah. a long time ago, actually, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah a long time ago. And also, uh, it seems like ages ago that I reviewed Call Me By Your Name as well. I know. Which uh, both are great films and in my top ten, so. Come a long way. Yeah. yeah. So, Look my, at me now. <laughs> <laughs> my number two uh, is the one that was my number one for most of the year, and that is... Kong Skull Island, baby. <laughs> Woo! Can, can and, you explain you know, why? Yeah, well, basically, <laughs> that movie is on drugs. And yeah. it's like watching it, you're like... Are you on drugs? Kind of. It seems like it, Not yeah. Yet. You know, but the other thing is, um, I just really... Sometimes I just love movies that have big casts. Yeah. And I know that was most people's complaint is there's way too many characters they don't get very developed and this and that and i'm like yeah okay fine i get it sure but it is a monster movie primarily and kong was fucking awesome and i love the how they threw in a lot of the jokes you know like is that a monkey you know or like um when the one guy from silver linings playbook is like yeah that was a really unusual uh you know um situation there you know (laughs) and uh yeah, so it's just I and, and again, like I was talking about colors earlier. That movie has a lot of colors, and especially like that one scene where they're in the skull walker, whatever those things are called, you know, and they, like that sharp green, you know. Yeah. Oh my god! So yeah, it's just visually stunning, and so yeah, and I'm just a big Kong fan anyway. Like I love Peter Jackson's King Kong, and I even loved like Marion C. Cooper's King Kong from 1933. Yeah. So there was no way I wasn't going to have it way up on my list. So, um, all right. (laughs) Stunned silence. (laughs) So I think we're then. No, go go ahead. Uh, Cuts. No. (laughs) So, Rob, why don't you. No. I'll tell us. Tell us your number one. Okay. And then they can discuss uh, this other film. Oh, okay. This other film. So all three of you really have the same number one? I, mm-hmm. I believe so. Probably. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, Transformers. Mine... Uh... Yay! Pirates Last of the night. Caribbean. <laughs> no. Okay. So my number one has been mentioned here a couple times already, and that is Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Oh, right. Um, 
you know, Rob, I, I love how you're defending it like that. And I, I just, you know, sometimes I think the movie just doesn't need defending. And, and I don't mean that in a bad way. But I mean, yeah. like, sometimes films just don't need defending. Like, because that's an, I think sometimes a director goes, hey, I made a great film. You can choose not to like it. Right. You know, and, and of course, you know, everybody does. I mean, even great films people don't like. I mean, there are people that don't like Citizen Kane. Um, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for me, it's just, you know, and the reason why, like, number one is a little bit different than the last few that I mentioned is that I don't think um, visually it's as stunning. Although there are some great shots. Yeah. But it's it's more staticky than than the other ones. But it's the writing. I mean, for me, I love the writing of Three Billboards. Mm-hmm. You know, and, like, just the characterizations and how dumb they come off. And, you know, and I love how angry and, I mean, like, legitimately pissed that um you know um francis mcdormand is enough yeah. to like you know drill a hole in somebody's like finger you know and, <laughs> and kick teenagers in the nuts <laughs> you know and even She's like my when hero. It, yeah and i mean <laughs> like, even when it goes completely over the top like i fucking love that scene where uh the the problematic scene where sam rockwell beats the shit out yeah. of um, the the guy who put up the billboards, you know. Yep. And then like mm. the way he and, and that's a, by the way that is really solid filmmaking. Like that tracking yeah. shot is unbelievable because it starts yeah. off in the second floor of the building across the street mm. and goes all the way down the street up to the other building on the second floor, and then he throws him the out window. the window. Yeah, yeah, and then he comes back down the stairs. He beats the shit out of him, and then he says to, to that so he sees like the black guy standing there. Goes, see, I. I don't just hate black people. I hate everybody. (laughs) And it's just like, whoa, dude. (laughs) Chill, Phil. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just love hard R-rated movies. And this one is just right up my alley. You know, that dark comedy. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it's my number one. Yeah, I want to say that I think that you actually get to, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of truth or whatever, but I feel like you really do get to a lot of truth through dark comedy through not through necessarily satire, but through, through things that are like, you know, we're, we're kind of laughing about this, but we're also examining it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I, I really feel like things like three billboards actually are, are, are some of the most, I guess, in their spirit, uh, humanistic, even if they're dark there, it's about sort of looking at humanity and saying, what's wrong with us? You know, what what are we doing to each other? Yeah. Look at something like Dr. Strangelove. Oh yeah. Uh, That's very, that is a very dark film. Yeah. Because there's no fighting in the war room. I love that line. I I just love when he he just starts shoveling bubble gum into his mouth. He's like when he's like, I can walk, (laughs) like dragging himself, and you're just like, oh my god, what's the hell? Yeah, yeah, that that is just talking about how monstrous we are Mm -hmm. in terms of fighting, and there's a lot of dark humor in that. And like you say, sometimes the most grim situations are you can't. It's a humor response to laugh. So yeah, yeah, it's crazy. All right, drum roll. Number one. All together. (laughs) Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) No. Phantom Thread. (laughs) (laughs) Phantom Thread, yes. Phantom Thread, yeah. Phantom Thread, yes. (laughs) Oh, my God. After last week's podcast as well. (laughs) 
Yeah, I love amazing. you too, guys. I love oh, you, Bianca. Crazy. I love you, uh, oh. Rob. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, yes, I, friend. <laughs> so good so good and like you're saying how Vicky Kreps hasn't been nominated is just such <laughs> it upsets me more than a Sean Baker thing like right. I, I just don't get it she's amazing and also um, just everything about that film is just so crafted you could take any scene and you could have it you know as a piece of art everything is framed wonderfully everything is shot everything is well lit the costumes are just absolutely beautiful i know i was saying about costumes in blade runner earlier but i have a huge thing about the the presentation of characters and they're just—it's just beautiful. It's like one when you just see a, a a great piece of art and you're just awestruck by it. Uh, like a, and it like all good films that I've watched this year, um, it made me cry. So and I said <laughs> before, if a film can make me cry and laugh at the same, you know, within the same runtime, that's yeah. just everything I want. Yeah, I think it's um I think it's Paul Thomas Anderson's probably his best overall work. You know what I'm saying? Like I saw I did watch Magnolia last night and I just became obsessed with it again because it's so Oh, I mean it is. It's so sweeping and it's so um it's it just hits the nail on the head in so many ways, but I feel like Phantom Thread is him sort of you know, a more controlling hand behind the camera. It's it's much more like it's a much smaller film, obviously. You know, it's these three... Really, it's three characters. It's a movie that takes place almost entirely in a house um, with these three characters, you know, um, Reynolds, his sister, um, you know, and Alma. And it's this constant, you know, control. You know, it's this constant battle for, you know, your. I need you to behave this way so that I can get my work done. It's like, well, I'm not... I'm not, I'm going to do like 98% of what you say, but I'm going to defy you on the 2%, you know, that I can, you know, that I know I can get away with this. And so it's this constant, you know, like battling back and forth between those two personalities. And then, you know, poor, um, you know, his poor sister is just kind of trying to maintain the house and like the dress is getting made and like making sure that, you know, Reynolds is in a good mood to start the day and that, you know, his breakfast isn't interrupted. And so I, there's just that that sort of uh, at play constantly, and it features the best omelette eating scene of 2017. Yes. <laughs> I think it, it could really win for best food presentation for you know yes. just the so. It's been a good year for food, even over the peach or the pie. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I'm not touching. I'm not touching that peach. Oh. I'm sorry. He, he should have eaten it, though. I think he should have eaten it, like in the book. He should have. He should have. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, going to uh, mushrooms. I mean, Phantom Fred. Uh, yeah, I agree with both of you, uh, B and, and Rob. Uh, when I was going to this movie, I was a little uh, like how I say. I wasn't expecting much of it because I was 
it's putting a lot a lot about uh Paul Thomas Anderson's last film, uh, In Her Advice, and I didn't like it as much. Mm-hmm. So I was, you know, I was, you know, like going like any other movie I, I, I was watching. But when I got out of, of the theater, I was so in love. I was, oh my God, what did I watch? I mm-hmm. loved this. Uh, you know, and it's, it's the performances. You know, like, Vicky uh, Creeps, she overperforms both Leslie Manville and, mm. you know, the method freak actor <laughs> uh, uh, Daniel Day Lewis, who has three Oscars for best lead actor, the only male uh, uh, who has done that. And, you know, Leslie Manville is, 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 is great too. He's, he's one of the best actresses working out there. Yeah. And that that Vicky Creeps could do that to both bands, it's amazing. Uh, she 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 stole the movie from both of them, and she's uh, so her character, like I said last week, is so com- complicated and and complex, and um, it's such a good character for like you were saying about women representation and mm-hmm. um, the whole thing I have against the Ghostbusters reboot that came out was that they're just, it's a gimmick. They're just selling it on the fact that there's, it's starring women. And they're also doing that with um, uh, Lords of the Flies. That's going to have a, all, a remake with all featuring but, a female cast. I don't like that idea of we're just going to have this character in this film for a gimmick to sell it. Yeah, I mean, it's like the it's like that Oceans movie that's coming out with an all female cast. It's basically it's tokenism. It's basically saying, "Hey, come to see this movie because women are in it." It's like, no, just write good good characters, write good stories. You know. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, like, I know. And Vicky Creeps' character is so simple. She's only asking for you know, uh, let me do my things. You don't, yeah. I don't have to obey you. What the? Who the fuck are you? That's what she's really saying during all the movie. Like, I know you're powerful. I know you're talented. I know you're the boss. But you know, I'm your wife. I'm your, yes. I'm your significant yes. other. You, you don't. You don't. I don't have to go by your rules. You should okay. go by my rules. You know, and yeah. you should share. Actually, you know, and I love that. That uh, that's, uh, that was uh, what I was going to do. Uh, the script. Paul Thomas Anderson created an amazing script, and I think, I somehow, I don't know, I suspect that this is a story about his life. I think mm. this is a story about Maya Rudolph, yeah. Maya <laughs> Rudolph, putting the, uh, you know, uh, saying who's the boss in, in, in their house, you know, like, right. oh, you're talented, Paul, I know you're talented, <laughs> but I'm talented too, <laughs> so, you, you know, yeah. uh, and you know, with her do you want an omelette? So, I've made you an omelette, okay? Yeah. yeah. And, it's very uh, symbolic, you know, that, that she uses uh, mushrooms, uh, uh, how the, uh, poisonous mushrooms, uh, to, you know, to calm him down. Like, hmm. what can that represent in real life? You know, it, it, make, it makes you think, uh, you know, maybe problems. No, I, I don't know how to say. It's, you have to think a little bit, you know, what the, what those mushrooms represent in real life. And, you know, the, the, it's, it, he makes, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson make, makes it work. Uh, also, 
I want to give a shout out to Leslie Manville because she has the best stirring scenes uh, in a decade. I have seen in, in all movies. I, I have seen from 2010 onwards. Uh, she has the best stirring scenes ever. So yeah, well, she she's incredible because she has to communicate so much with her face and not say anything. And exactly. so you see her, you see her eyes, you see the face, facial twitches, you see all the, the, um, you know, the, um, the, re- not, re- okay, uh, not the redundancies, but sort of like the There's hesitations a, and like yeah, the, yeah. yeah, you're just hiding and, and putting on a, literally putting on a face. <laughs> so, I mean, she, she, and she's incredible in that. And the camera's right there capturing it all. So it's, it's great. That, and that scene where she like, put uh, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis uh, Woodcut, uh, cast, uh, Woodcut down, like, when he's don't trying to... Don't start with to, me. Don't start with... Exactly, like, don't, don't, you, don't you dare. You're going to get hurt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that scene is amazing. Also, the other scene that I can quote, because I, I love that quote that he uses, is the one where, where Vicky Creeps go with, goes with the teapot to his room, and they're, they fight, oh, and see. there's... Oh, yeah. she's, uh, he says something like, uh, uh, the tea is gone, but the interruption stays here. I love that quote. <laughs> oh, my God, I'm going to use it so much in my life right from now on. <laughs> of course, uh, substituting the, the, tea pot, the tea with other things that interrupt my life. So, yeah. And so she, I, I, I'm an asshole like that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, and what I loved, what I really loved was that the movie was not afraid to shy away from the difficult relationship because not every one of our relationships are, you know, all roses and, you know, <laughs> sunsets and storybook endings. You know, we all kind of have to work with that person to create the relationship that we want. And it didn't shy away from these difficult people. Alma needs to be a little stubborn to, to sort of have that um, within her to stick around and get through his abuse until she can figure out a way to, you know, cement herself. And, mm-hmm. you know, without his coldness, without his, uh, you know, withholding kind of nature, I don't know if she would like anybody. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, they, they fit each other. They really, mm-hmm. they, and, and the movie doesn't try to make it into a storybook ending or like, it doesn't try to create that narrative. It's, they are who they are and they're mm-hmm. going to keep, it's seeming like they're going to keep doing this and for better or worse, that's what they're doing. So I, I love that. I love that sort of these these are flawed people, but they love each other and they're going to do what they can to, to make it work in the mo- in one of the more, you know, sort of I don't know if controversial is the right way, but, you know, poisoning your love so that they, <laughs> so that they stay, you know, yeah, that, that's, well the mo- that's the most uh, I'm going to I really agree with you in that, because I think it's the most real portrayal of love mm-hmm. I have seen in a while. Yeah. Uh, because there are always these movies that put love like something so beautiful and so <laughs> and delicate. And that, yeah, that's bullshit. Because love is not easy. <laughs> love is yeah. not easy. Uh, and yeah. people, uh, even though they love each other, they fight. They have uh, things that they don't like about each other. But the love is so is more stronger than that. And that's why it defies defies uh, the. Uh, separation, you know, they, they, yeah. they're they going to work for it, and mm-hmm. they're going to still uh, still be together, you know, yeah. and that's that's other, the, that's one of the other elements I love about uh, Phantom Thread. 
Uh, and I think that's all I have to say about it. So, <laughs> Bianca, are you going to say mm. something else? Um, what can I say? <laughs> uh, I, I pretty much said I, uh, I, I wrote my, my piece regarding how I believe it's poor Thomas Anderson sort of ode to Hitchcock really um, and that it's a cele- thank you uh, uh, it's a celebration of, of cinema uh, and mm-hmm. what, what's com- come before us before the present and um it's it's just a film that really sort of it's a it's a film that appreciates the the art of film making even though it's not set a, set in the world of the film industry it's set in a the world of um you know designer clothes and, and uh fashion um and i think it's it's a film that really it celebrates the obsessive nature um of the genius and um but recognizes it shows those that, limitations too yes yeah exactly it recognizes that um well behind every great man is an even greater woman <laughs> and um yeah it, it just goes to show that uh, you don't get to the top of your game alone there's someone there who is sort of holding your hand and, and comforting you and giving you a push, but also is reining you back when you overdo it. So, uh, it's a great film. It's just, yeah. it's beautiful. I, 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 I said, uh, there are certain films from 2017 that will fall off people's great, li- you know, top 10 lists and top 20 lists, but Phantom Fred is not going to be one of those films. Totally agree. I um and I do I just really quick I do want to say I I'm gonna say this and I, I'm probably gonna be wrong but I think that Paul Thomas Anderson should win Best Director at the Academy Awards. Um, oh, I love you know love what Guillermo del Toro did. I love what Christopher Nolan did. Um, and you know really nice efforts by Jordan Peele and Greta Gerwig. But um, I really feel like Paul Thomas Anderson deserves it and i think that this movie is is the best of the year so that's, that's all i have to say <laughs> actually all the awards to to phantom fred leslie yeah. daniel paul uh the movie uh costumes yeah. and of course uh johnny greenwood with, with the oh, best score of original the year score, yeah mm-hmm. yeah uh, and best a uh, best adaption that's just just give it every award yeah yeah best even visual effects vicky <laughs> creeps even if you chase in there so yeah every award thank you <laughs> I was going to say, Al, real quick, I also yeah. wanted to say I think three billboards should win for best original screenplay, talking about the writing, so yeah, that's all. Well, you know, it's <laughs> funny, um, I'll just real quickly I'll say to that, you know, it's funny, like, I, three billboards is my favorite film of the year, but ironically, mm-hmm. um, and I know um, B won't necessarily like this, but I'm actually, <laughs> in that category, I'm rooting for Lady Bird. Okay. <laughs> um, well. But uh, no, so I, I, you know, I, for, I realized I forgot to mention what Daniel's number one was. Okay. And yeah, his yeah. was uh, Get Out. Why? Well, right. no, I'm, just kidding. I'm just, kidding. <laughs> just kidding. So uh, yeah, a little anticlimactic, but uh, yeah, uh, Get Out is a great film as well. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, okay. um, yeah. yeah. So thank you guys for coming on uh, with me. Uh, I just this is so much fun. Um, and thank you all the listeners for sticking with us yeah. for this long. 
And okay, I can I can I can't guarantee we'll get to Roger Deakins next week, but I can guarantee we will absolutely not be talking about Fifty Shades Freed or the fifteen seventeen to Paris. <laughs> <All right. laughs> um, and uh, with that, um, I think we'll just say goodbye and uh, we'll all get out. Sunday.